We are doing Surat Toba. Sometimes Surat Toba, this surah has 129 verses and is madani. And it begins and opens with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declaring that from the perspective of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam, the treaties that were hitherto made between the Muslims and the idol worshippers, these treaties are severed. They are cancelled and they are annulled. Why is this? This is because the mushrikeen had broke their treaties, broke the treaties themselves, and therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet through Quran that you don't need to be true to this anymore. Later on then, there's going to be discussion of the Battle of Tabuk, Fatih Makkah, the Battle of Hunain, and even a few battles afterwards. So there are quite a lot of discussions of more ahkam of jihad in this surah. And the word toba that is going to be related to something that takes place in verse 104. So we will discuss that when we get to that. We had already mentioned to you that this is the only verse of Quran that does not begin with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. All right. Before we begin, both of our commentators, Mufti Muhammad Taqi Usmani and Mufti Muhammad Al-Shikillah, he suggests that first you should understand the ahkam of the unbelievers. So there are four types of unbelievers when it pertains to how you can have a discussion of treaty or breach of treaty, violation of treaty with them. The first category are those who entered into a peace treaty with the Muslims for an indefinite period. So there was a treaty made between them and the Muslims and this was those who Muslim, those mushrikeen or unbelievers who made a treaty with the Muslims in the sixth year, Hijri, this is known as Sula Hudaybiyah or the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. This was that occasion when the mushrikeen of Makkah Makarimah prevented Sayyidina Rasulullah and the Sahaba Ikram from going on Umrah. And then on the way in that Umrah, then the Prophet decided that it's better to make a treaty with them. The treaty was such that its terms were by and large, actually, it was a one-sided treaty. It was much more favorable to the mushrikeen and much less favorable to the Muslims. For example, it was said that if anybody from the mushrikeen decides to accept Islam and go to Medina Manawrah, the Muslims will have to return him. However, if anybody in Makkah Makarma accepts Islam, they will not be allowed to go to Medina Manawrah. Right? Just one major example. And this was the most difficult condition on the heart of the Prophet ﷺ and Sahabah Ikram because obviously if somebody from the community of Makkah Makkah becomes a Muslim, they would want him to be able to migrate to Medina Manawrah. So this is one of the most difficult features of this treaty. Another clause of the treaty obviously was that the main clause was that neither parties to the treaty will attack one another, nor will they attack any of the allies of one another. Now there was an ally of the Bani Quraysh, ally of the Quraysh known as the Bani Bakr. And they attacked the Bani Khuza'a tribe who were the allies of the Muslims. And the Quraysh actively supported the Bani Bakr tribe in this attack with weapons and with money. And so this is actually the moment when the treaty was considered to be broken by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi wa And after Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi wa heard of this breach of treaty, and therefore and then after this now the treaty is rendered null and void, after that then Sayyidina Rasulullah was inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to gather the Sahaba and march on Makkah Mukarramah, and it's at that place that Fatih Makkah took place. There's a second category of mushrikeen, and those were those whom Nabi Akrim Sassam and the Sahaba Ikram had engaged in a treaty with for a stipulated specific time period. And these mushrikeen did not violate, they had not violated the terms of that treaty. 
This example are the treaties of the, Bani, the tribes of Bani Zamra and Bani Mudlaj. Both of these tribes had made a treaty with the Muslims for a specific time period. They had not violated that treaty, but the time period of that treaty was going to expire in a few months. So later on you're going to see in Surah Tawbah, Allah is going to address them as well and say that the Muslims should honor that treaty until its time of expiration. But when it expires, then there will be no further treaty with those mushrikeen either. Third group were those uh, mushrikeen who had not entered into any type of treaty with the Muslims. So by mushrikeen we're talking not just the Quraysh of Makkah Makarama, but in the entire Arabian Peninsula, all of the tribes of the mushrikeen can be classified into these four groups. One, those who had engaged in Sulla Hudaybiyah, a treaty for an indefinite period. Second, certain tribes who had engaged in a treaty for a stipulated time period, and that time period is going to expire several months after the revelation of this verse. Third is those mushrikeen who did not engage in any treaty whatsoever. They have not made any type of peace, any agreement with the Muslims. For them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Surah is going to mention that they're going to be given four months. One way peace will be declared for four months, but after that four months, in other words, the Muslims are going to themselves make a one-way, if you will, declaration of peace or treaty, that for four months we will not do anything to you. Right? And the fourth group, uh, the fourth group of mushrikeen are those who had a treaty with the Muslims and who breached it directly. The first group was, the first is the Quraysh who breached it by means of their proxy in the Bani Bakr. And then the fourth is going to refer to those members of Quraysh who violated it uh, and even they even violated it in the Ashur Haram or the sacred months. They violated it in the sacred months. Alright? So these are four different groups that Allah SWT is going to be addressing all together in this Surah At-Tawbah. Alright. Second thing is that uh, so even for this fourth group Allah SWT is going to give them four months as well. Then Allah SWT is going to mention that the day of Hajj al-Akbar. So Hajj al-Akbar is viewed as that day, that Hajj on which Hajj, Yawm al-Arafah falls on a Friday. The great Muhaddis Mullah Ali al-Qari al-Hanafi has written a whole treatise in which he has gathered all the hadith that mention the fazilat of Hajj al-Akbar. And the fazilat has mentioned that a Hajj which is performed when the day of Arafat itself falls on a Friday, so two things are done, Yom al-Arafah and Yom al-Jumah take place together, then such a hajj is 70 times more, gathers 70 times more merit and suwab than a hajj that has fallen on another year. Now in the ninth year of Hijri, Sayyidina Rasulullah he sent Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Ali to go for hajj. In Hadith in Bukhari, Sayyidina Abu Hurairah narrates, that he was sent by Sayyidina Abu Bakr to Mina. And in that, there was a final proclamation in which the Muslims declared in Fatimaka that henceforth no mushrik will ever be allowed to perform hajj. So the words are, the words that Sayyidina Abu Huraira proclaimed was, Behold, from now forth no mushrik will perform hajj after this year and no one will be allowed to make tawaf of the Kaaba naked. What does this mean? That the establishment of the Islamic rites of worship, the manasik of Hajj and Umrah, were established in Kaaba and on those sacred days of Hajj and on those places of Mina, Arafat and Muzdalifah. This gives a lesson that yes, and this is something that a pure secular liberal will have a disagreement with. 
Pure secular liberals believe that there should be freedom of every type of religion whatsoever. And we make no claims whatsoever that Islam has the same philosophy. Islam does not allow freedom of polytheistic and idol worship practices in the Kaaba and in other certain territories. Islam will not allow that. When there is a group of idol worshippers that have conducted a treaty with an Islamic state, the greatest example actually in the history of Islam is indeed your history, because Mughal India was always Hindu majority. So when there was a peace treaty with the Hindus, and the Hindus are allowed to practice their religion in confined places, which are their own places of worship, they would not be allowed to engage in open public idol worship, let's say in the streets of Delhi or in the streets of somewhere else. So Islam has no, does not make in any claims in any way that it recognizes the equal and universal validity of all religious practices. No. Islam in Quran Allah Ta'ala makes it clear that the true religion is the deen of Islam. Those people who follow other religions, who engage in peace treaties with the Muslims, whether outside or inside Islamic territories, will be allowed a restricted freedom of religion, which is confined to their own places of worship. They will not be allowed to freely practice their religion, and they will not be allowed to freely propagate their religion. And this is something also many secular liberals raise, that, well, we let Muslims come to America, and we let them preach Islam, and if people are allowed to convert to Islam, and you don't let people, you don't say you feel, although Pakistan does allow missionaries to come to this country, I myself know about some of them, right? But otherwise, yes, definitely an Islamic state, he would not be allowed to preach any other religion. The way one can explain this to the secular liberals is as follows, is that in America, you cannot preach anything that goes against the Constitution. Such speech is viewed as insightful speech, is viewed as anti-constitutional speech. That is not allowed. So for just like for them, they have sacralized their constitution, that you could not openly advocate a political order that is against the constitution. You will be arrested for sedition and perhaps even tried for treason. Just like that, in the deen of Islam, the Qur'an is a constitution. You will not be allowed in an Islamic state to invite people to worship idols, to invite people to worship fire. And the atheist will suggest to you that why is it? Is it because you think that the faith of the Muslims, they will mock and they will say, do you think the faith of the Muslims is so weak that if a fire worshipper was to invite them to worshiping fire, they would lose their mind? No. It's not because we think the faith of the Muslim is weak, but it's not because Islam has come to enjoin good and to forbid evil. It's because we view fire worshiping as a crime. Just like in America, you would not be allowed to incite people to murder, incite people to theft. You're not allowed to preach crimes to people. You're not allowed to invite or incite people to crime. According to Deen of Islam, worshipping an idol or worshipping fire, this is a crime. And therefore, people will not be allowed to invite or incite or to preach criminal activities. Right? I make this clear because sometimes you a lot of secular liberals, they misunderstand. So there are places, and we have to be open and honestly acknowledge that, there are places where secular liberalism and Islam are not in agreement. There will be irreconcilable differences, and this is one of them, that Islam does not believe that polytheism and idol worship, or even, right, even Judaism, Christianity, can be openly preached in a Muslim country, but they can be completely freely practiced by people who are voluntarily adhering to that religion, but we will not allow them to preach that. So one great historical example of this, and that is something that people understand, right? So you also have to understand that it's not about our sentiment. 
Our mindset views, yes, doing tawaf naked around Kaaba, that should be forbidden. But preaching Christianity should be allowed. Islam makes no difference. False religion is false religion. Whether false religion means walking naked around the Kaaba, whether false religion means thinking that Isa Islam is the son of God, false religion is false religion. And in an Islamic state and society, falsehood would not allow be allowed to be propagated or preached. People who voluntarily choose to adhere to that falsehood can privately practice that in their own designated and protected places of worship. Right? Designated and protected in the Islamic state's army would have to protect uh, the Christian church from any attack. Right? But they wouldn't be allowed, missionaries would not be allowed to preach Christianity in a Muslim country. And that is their choice. If America chooses to allow Muslims to preach, well that's their choice. It's not a tit-for-tat relationship. Even if they allow Muslims to preach Islam, we will still not allow Christians to preach Christianity in a Muslim country. Alright? Okay. Okay, alright. means exoneration, immunity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Nabi Akrim Sassam declared that they are free now. They are exonerated from observing that treaty. Why? Because you yourself violated that treaty. So the treaty is now viewed as cancelled and abrogated by your action, O idol worshippers. And I explained that incident to you in breaking that treaty. And henceforth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Nabi Akrim Sassam and therefore all of those who follow Allah and His Messenger means all the Sambakram are bari or exonerated. Right, and this exoneration, Baratun, literally it's a proclamation and announcement of such exoneration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger Sallam to who? To those of the mushrikeen with whom which the Prophet Sallam and the Sahaba had engaged in a treaty with. Alright. Now what will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? For that group who broke the treaty and for those mushrikeen who don't have any treaty at all. Fasihu fil ardi arba'ata ashurin that you may roam and travel in the land freely for four months. But you should be aware that you will never ever be able to escape from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that mean? That it means that when you will not be able to escape the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after those four months. So it's giving them a choice. That now that you, for example, now that you violated the treaty, the Muslims are going to take over, they're going to march on Makkah, Makkah, Fatih, Makkah, and then they're going to consolidate their power in the entire Arabian Peninsula. So the idol worshippers have been given four months notice. You can leave this Raven Peninsula. You can think and reflect and accept the true religion. Right? But know that after this four months goes, there will be no escaping from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And know also that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ مُخْزِ الْكَافِرِينَ And that know that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to disgrace the disbelievers means that they will no longer be allowed to freely propagate and spread their disbelief on this peninsula. Islam will be established on this peninsula and they will be disgraced if they choose not to accept Islam. وَذَانُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ إِنَ النَّاسِ يَوْمَ الْحَجِّ الْأَكْبَرِ أَنَّ اللَّهَ بَرِيُّمْ مِنَ الْمُشْرِمِينَ So this, Bushrakeen, this is the announcement that I mentioned to you, that said that a proclamation and announcement from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger to all people, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His messenger are released from the treaty obligations to those idol worshippers. فَإِن تُبْتُمْ And if you make tawbah, 
it will be better for you. So Allah here is addressing the idol worshippers that if you make tawbah, it will be better for you if you repent. And again Allah says, However, if you respurn and reject this offer to make tawbah, that know that you will never ever be able to escape Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you turn away. And O my beloved Messenger Sallallahu give these unbelievers the glad tidings that they will be punished with an incredibly painful punishment of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala if they choose not to make that tawbah. All right. However, there is going to be now mention of that second group who have been true to that treaty. So this is verse four. Now there's that other group of disbelievers, idol worshippers, who made a treaty with the Muslims and haven't violated it in any way whatsoever. So for them, for that group, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to tell them that we must honor, that the believers must honor the, tre- the treaty that they made with them. Those who have not, who, those who have not broken the treaty with you at all, and those who have not supported anyone against you. So neither did they directly break it, nor did they break it by proxy. So fulfill your agreement with them until the end of the term. And then know that in muttaqeen, indeed Allah subhanahu loves the people of taqwa. So it's being mentioned that it's part of taqwa in Islam to fulfill the treaty obligations that one makes with unbelievers as long as the unbelievers do not violate the treaty themselves. So it means this is not something that you know not should be suggested. It's not that all is fear and love and war type of thing. That they made a treaty with us and they didn't they didn't break it, but we can break it now. No. It's from the taqwa. Quran Kareem Allah SWT is saying it's from the taqwa of a believer to honor the treaty obligations and fulfill the terms and time limits of that treaty. Alright? Okay. Now after that, Allah SWT says, فَإِذَنْ سَلَخَ الْأَشْهَرُ الْحُرَمُ When the four months, sacred months are over. Again, these four months are, uh, these four months we explained to you before, this is Rajab. And uh, Dikada and Muharram, Rajab, Dikada and Muharram. What is the fourth one? Hmm? Zulhajjah, right? Rajab, Dikada, Muharram, and Zulhajjah. When these four months are over, then Allah Subhanahu says, and this is one of those famous quotes that enemies of Islam pluck out. So what does Allah Subhanahu say? Faktulul Mushrikina heithu wajatumuhum. That you should kill the idol worshippers wherever you find them. Now here, those of you who have studied Arabic grammar, the alif lam here on al-mushrikeen is ahdi. Ahdi, for those of you who don't know Arabic grammar, means that alif lam sometimes comes to denote a specific intended group. So alif lam here means, it doesn't mean kill all idol worshippers wherever you find them on earth. This is not the Quranic command. And especially certain Hindu websites, they love to quote this. Uh, and try to make it sound as a psalmist. And saying that, it means that those idol worshippers who were guilty of breaking the treaty and physically attacking and waging unjust aggression and violence and killing Muslims in violation of that treaty, after the sacred months expire, then you should kill those mushrikeen wherever you find them. In other words, if they don't leave the Arabian Peninsula and we've given them this four months, right? 
then you should kill those, and it means that those you should kill those whenever you wherever you encounter those idolaters who violated the treaty. Then you should either kill them or wachuzuhum. You can seize them or wahsuruhum. You should besiege them. Wakuduluhum kulla marsad, and you should wait for them at every lookout post. For in tabu, however, if they make toba. It means that they accept Islam. وَأَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةَ And the regular establish the prayer. وَآتَوَ الزَّكَاةَ And they pay their zakat. فَخَلُّوا سَبِيلَهُمْ Then you should leave their path. You should leave them free. Right? You should let them go on their way. إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving, is all merciful. So Surah Tawbah is mentioning how the tide turns. This is now the tide turning. Fatimaka will take place. And now the Muslims are going to establish deen of Islam on earth. Right, in which a piece of earth on the Arabian Peninsula. Right? And at that time not all Mushrikeen, but those Mushrikeen who are guilty of violating the treaty, they will be either they can be killed, they can be seized, they can be besieged, we can lay an ambush of them, right, until they make Toba. So it's not compel not compulsion for all Mushrikeen to accept Islam. But those who violated the treaty now there is nothing that can save them from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing can save them from facing the consequences of their violation of treaty and their murder of Muslims other than they accept Islam. It doesn't mean that every mushrik has to accept Islam unless he gets killed. If any one of those mushrikeen, when in ahadum min mushrikeen istajaraka, if any one of those mushrikeen, they seek refuge from you, they seek sanctity with you, they lay down their arms, right? They lay down their arms, and they seek your protection. So then the Biyakrisam Fa'ajir Fa'ajirhu Fa'ajirhu, then you should grant it to them. Why? Hatta Yasma'a Kalam Allah, so that they may hear the word of Allah Subhanahu So if they surrender, if any one of these idol worshippers surrender also, that's also a possibility. That's also a possibility. Either they accept Islam, nothing will happen to them, or they surrender. They surrender. Because they're guilty of violation of the treaty. If they surrender, then you should let them hear the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أَبْلِغُوا مَأْمَنَهُ That you should bring them to a place of safety. ذَلَكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ قَوْمٌ لَا يَعْنَمُونَ Because indeed they are a community which has no knowledge of deen. They don't know Qur'an al So what does it mean that if they surrender, then they should be taken away and the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be taught to them and they should be put in a place of safety and sanctuary. Okay. What are the detailed rulings of this? And the detailed rulings of this are as follows. Number one, convey him to a place of safety means that the Islamic State is responsible for the safety of that unbeliever who chooses to surrender, means lay down their arms, chooses to live in a non-aggressive way in that Islamic State. In today's terms, it can be even understood as a visitor who comes on a visa. Right? That the Islamic State is responsible for their protection. Now the ulama have have had differing opinions as to how long will such a person be allowed to pay. Imam Munifarim Allah's view is that he can be allowed residence for one year and then after one year he can be allowed further residence but then he will enter a particular status which is known as Zimmi status. Zimmi status are those non-Muslims who live in Islamic State who again surrender their right to bear arms live in a non-aggressive way, also surrender their right to propagate and preach their own religion, but they are entitled to practice their own religion. 
if they wish to stay after one year, then they're long-term residents, so they're given dhimmi status, and then what they have to do is they have to pay something called the jizya. Jizya you can view it like as a tax levied by the Islamic State on the non-Muslims, and what they get in exchange for that is freedom to practice their religion privately, and they get protection of the Islamic State, both to practice their religion privately, and also protection of their life, and protection of their property. Right, so you can view it as like a citizen's tax. A citizen's tax. The Muslim doesn't have to pay this jizya. Why? Because by virtue of his iman, he is entitled to the protection of the Islamic State. This person is not entitled to the protection of the Islamic State and the welfare state that Islam is supposed to provide on the virtue of their iman because they've chosen not to accept iman. So this will be a financial arrangement that they will be then be given the protection of the Islamic State based on this jizya or this tax that they will pay. Or not. Now Allah subhanahu wa in verses number 7 onwards. Here Allah subhanahu wa is mentioning that there can never ever be a treaty. There can never be a treaty anymore for those idol worshippers who have broken the treaty with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And secondly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also mentioning that from now on the mushrikeen will not be treated with treaty. They will be treated as given opportunity to be dhimmis. Or if they are aggressive, they will be killed wherever such aggressive ones are found. كَيْفِ يَكُونُ لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ أَحْدٌ إِنَّ اللَّهِ وَإِنَّ رَسُولِهِ That how can there ever be a treaty with such idolaters? Except for those whom you had entered into a treaty in the Masjid al-Haram, then you have to be true to that treaty. This is the one that I mentioned to you already, that the time period for that expiration, expiration of the treaty hasn't come as well. So, فَمَسْتَقَامُوا لَكُمْ So you should be true, as long as they are true to you, فَاسْتَقِيمُوا لَهُمْ You should be true with them. As long as they maintain firm and adhere to the treaty with you, you should maintain firm and adhere with the treaty with them. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِمُّ الْمُتَّقِينَ Again it comes here that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the people of taqwa. So twice it is mentioned that taqwa lies also in being true to the agreements that you have with other people, irrespective of whether those other people are believers or they're idol worshippers. However, كَيْفَ وَإِنْ يَظْهَرُوا عَلَيْكُمْ However, that when, if they were to get the upper hand over you, so Allah Ta'ala is saying that know this about them, that they have made a treaty with you under duress. If they were to get the upper hand over you, they would not respect any treaty and any covenant they made with you, whether it be of kinship or it be of treaty. They please you with their tongues, but their hearts are against you. يَرْذُونَكُمْ بِأَفْوَاهِهِمْ They please you with their tongues. وَتَابَ كُلُوبَهُمْ But their hearts are against you. Their spiritual hearts are against you. وَاكْثَرُهُمْ فَاسِكُونَ And the vast majority of them are sinners. They have sold Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's verses of revelation, ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا For a trifling grain. فَسَدُّ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ And they stop other people from coming to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّهُمْ سَاءَ مَا كَانُوا يَأْمُنُونَ Indeed it is terribly evil each and every single thing that they do. All right. As far as believers are concerned, لا يركبون في مؤمن إلا ولا ذمة. The most believers can they respect no tie, they respect no tie of kinship and no tie of treaty. أولئكم المقتدون and these are the ones who are committing aggression. They are the ones who are transgressing. All right. But فَإِن تَابُوا Same thing that if they make tawbah, if they offer their salah, if they pay zakat, فَإِخْوَانُكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ 
then you must treat them as your brethren in deen. They will be as much your fellow Muslim, even if they had previously broken the treaty, even if they had previously killed your fellow Muslims. If they make tawbah, they accept Islam, they will be as much your fellow brethren. This is also a message Allah Ta'ala was sending those mushrikeen. That don't think that just because you violated the treaty and you killed some Muslims, the doors of Islam are closed to you. Or the door of Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness and mercy are closed to you. No. Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness and mercy is still there for you. And you can still enter the deen of Islam. And don't think that these Muslims will hold a grudge on you for what you did. Allah Ta'ala is saying, I will tell them in Quran, فَإِخْوَانَكُمْ فِي الدِّينَ That if you make tawbah and you accept Islam, that they will treat you like their brethren in deen. And whatever you did before was forgiven and forgotten. وَنَفَسِّلُوا الْآيَاتِ لَكُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ Thus does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make clear and expound the verses of His revelation for a community who wishes to gain knowledge, for a community who wishes to know. Alright. However, وَإِن نَكَثُوا أَيْمَانُهُمْ However, if they break their promises after they have entered into a treaty with you, وَتَعَنُوا فِي دِينِكُمْ and such that they then start doing ta'an, they start reviling and mocking your deen. They start reviling and mocking your deen. Then what you should do, فَقَاتِلُوا أَئِمَّةَ الْكُفْرِ Then you should fight back the leaders of such disbelief, because these are people, إِنَّهُمْ لَا إِيمَانَ لَهُمْ That oaths mean nothing to them. لَأَلَّهُمْ يَنْتَهُونَ And you should fight them with the hope that they may stop. They're not fighting them with the hope that you may kill them, not fighting them to try to commit genocide, fighting them in the hope that they may stop their unjust aggression, that they may stop their violation of the treaties, and that they may stop the mocking and reviling of your deen. Alright? So this, if you read the whole thing, and if you add this to all the other ayat we did before on the ahkam of jihad, it makes it clear. The first option Islam says is that live in peace with them. Second, if they're troubled relations, negotiate a treaty. Negotiate terms by which you can live with another. It's the last resort that if they can't, they're not willing to do that, or they violate the treaty, then you must fight them, and you must fight the unjust aggressor. لا تقاتلوا نقوماً نكثوا أيمانهم وهموا بإخراج الرسول وهم بدأوكم That here Allah SWT is saying in Quran, that you should... How could you not fight a people who have broken their oaths, who have tried to drive the messengers of some out, and and they were the first to engage in aggression against you? So Allah SWT is saying it's ridiculous now not to fight them. How could you not fight them when they first they first struck against you, and they have broken their oath, and they tried to expel Sayyidina Rasulullah from his land? Atakshonahum, is it, did you fear them? Fallahu ahakku antakshohu. Indeed, Allah SWT is more worthy and more deserving and it more befits Him that you should fear Him in kuntum mu'mineen if indeed you are believers. Qatiluhum, therefore you should fight them. Yu'adhibahumullahu bi'aydikum. And Allah SWT will punish them at your hands. Means Allah Ta'ala will grant you victory. وَيُخْزِهِمْ وَيَنْصُرْكُمْ عَلَيْهِمْ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will disgrace them and He will help you against them. He will help you alayhim against them means He will help you to conquer them. وَيَشْفِ sudur. 
And Allah SWT will soothe and heal the breasts of the community of believers. What does this mean? That this is suggesting that the community of the believers, their hearts were hurt by the fact that these unbelievers broke their treaty. And they were completely fine living their life in Medina Manawra. And that these people will maintain their life in Makkah Mukarrama. But when they broke the treaty, their hearts were hurt. So now Allah SWT is saying is that we will give we will literally it means we will give shifa, we will heal, we will soothe the hearts of the believers. And Allah Ta'ala saying is we will take away the anger that they have in their hearts. We will take away the anger that they have in their hearts. Wa and Allah Subhanahu relents and accepts Tawbah to whomsoever he wills. Wallahu Alima Hakim and indeed Allah Subhanahu is all knowing and all wise. Alright. Then Allah says, Am hasibtum. Do you think, is it your view, that you will be left antutruku walamma ya'lamillahu alladheena jahadu minkum walam yattakhidu min dunillahi wala rasulihi wala al-mu'mineena walija. That do you think that you will be not, you will be left and you won't be tested? No. Allah subhanahu will indeed Test us and why? So that Allah Ta'ala may know, may identify which of you will be willing to make jihad and strive and struggle for his cause. Which of you will take lam yattakhidu, you will not take min dunillah other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wala rasulihin other than the Prophet wala mu'maneen other than the believers. You will not take any supporters, walija, you will not take any supporters, any friends besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet and the believers. Indeed, Allah SWT is fully aware and all aware of each and every action that you commit. Alright. Now what happens was that in Hudaybiyah, this treaty of Hudaybiyah was taking place in the 6th Hijri. And Sayyidina Rasulullah and the Sahaba actually agreed to that treaty for 10 years. So it should have, would have lasted all the way up till 16 Hijri. It would have lasted all the way up till 16 Hijri. Alright. But here again in 8 and 9 Hijri, the disbelievers, they violated that treaty and therefore this treaty was cancelled. And in 10 Hijri, Sayyidina <coughs> Rasulullah marched on and engaged in Fatai Makkah. Ayyamatul Kufr, Ayyamatul Kufr is referring specifically to Abu Jahl, Ikrimah bin Abi Jahl, his son, Abu Sufyan, etc. Because these are the ones who broke it, who commanded that the treaty be broken. These are the ones who incited by proxy those tribes against the allies of the believers. Here when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes this promise to the believers who were hurt by the betrayal of the unbelievers when they failed to uphold the treaty, Allah ta'ala promises to eliminate the hurt from their heart and Allah ta'ala also promises to eliminate the fury in their hearts. So what does that mean? That means number one, that raise anger and rancor and evil or anger and rancor and rage and fury. When it is in a person's heart and it doesn't find a way to be directed, right, it swells up. So one way Allah Ta'ala is removing it is by giving this command that no, you can't take action. You can't take action against them because they violated the treaty, you should fight them. So that is one way to get it out. Second meaning the Mufassir have said is that they were dwelling in this anger and this hurt. So Allah Ta'ala will take it out because after Fatih Makkah, then Allah Ta'ala will put the hearts of the believers in a state of aman and in a state of itminan. 
Well, they will no longer feel this anger and rage towards the disbelievers. And you see that, for example, when Sahaba Kram enter Makkah Mukarma, they don't engage in any act of vengeance. They don't engage in any destruction of property. They don't engage in any rioting or looting or pillaging, right? A completely peaceful entry into Makkah Mukarma without any rage, without any anger. So Allah SWT is mentioning that, look, that ultimately... Even when you are triumphant, Allah SWT is going to make that take place in such a way that Allah Ta'ala has taken out the anger from your heart. So you won't enter into Makkah like an angry, vengeful, furious hordes. You will enter into Makkah Makarimah in a state of aman and atmina. Right? Okay. It's done. Okay. Let's come back now, continuing from verse number 17 onwards. إِنَّمَا يَأْمُنُ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَقَامَ الصَّلَاةِ وَآتَ الزَّكَاةِ وَلَمْ يَخْشَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Here Allah SWT is saying that it is not befitting that the mushrikeen, it is not befitting. <coughs> no, I skipped tonight. وَمَا كَانَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ أَنْ يَأْمُرُوا مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ شَاهِدِينَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ بِالْكُفْرِ It is not befit that the idol worshippers should be allowed to tend and to be custodians of the homes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because up till now that was what was happening, that they controlled Makkah Makarama, they were the custodians of the Kaaba. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning this also is something that has to be finished. This cannot be allowed to continue. That idol worshippers control the Kaaba, that they walk around it naked, that they place their idols inside the Kaaba and around the Kaaba and on Safa and on Marwa. This cannot be allowed to continue. Ulaika habitat a'maluhum. These are those people whose actions have come to nothing. Wafin narihum khalidun, and they will abide in the fire of Jahannam. Now, innama, only those people should tend to the masajid Allah. So, this is an important thing. Now, this is not just about masjid haram. Allah Ta'ala is making clear in Quran that who is it that who should be on a masjid committee. This isn't so much an issue over here, this is a big issue in America. And especially in the Pakistani community in America. What you have is that you have in many places in America, you had in the 70s and 80s, even as early as the 60s and 70s and 80s, especially lots of Pakistani doctors who moved to America, right? And they were well off. And they were genuinely concerned about preserving their identity. And so they built, sometimes they would call it masjid, sometimes they would call it Islamic center, sometimes they call it Islamic community center. And they built it for the right reason to prepare preserve their identity and the identity of their children on the deen of Islam. But then as the masjids were built, and as those original founding father doctors sometimes migrated to different places, or certainly the ones who came in the 70s and 80s, they started passing away. In the 90s and 2000s, you had a crisis of leadership in many of these masjids. And you had what I call, and not to be condescending, but I used to call them desi uncles. And you had what I call the very desi uncle mentality about running the masjid. None of them were ulama. None of them had relationships with ulama. They had no respect for ulama. It was a tamasha. And a tamasha also that they had elections every year. And they're fighting with one another every year over elections. And now instead of being a place of worship and spirituality, it has become a battleground between Desi Uncle 1 and Desi Uncle 2 and his followers as who's going to be elected as president that year. And now then instead of being a place of humility and taqwa and piety, it's become a totally different place altogether. So, what I always used to tell, and they didn't, and I can tell you, most of them didn't take too kindly to the suggestion. I would say, look, being a donor is one thing, and being a hell to be custodian of the masjid is something else. Right? 
And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the deen of Islam there's something called mutawalli. The mutawalli is the caretaker and the custodian of the masjid. The criteria for that is not money. The criteria for that wasn't who donated more. And then unfortunately then the donations also lack ikhlas. People donating because they want to be elected secretary. People donating because they want to be elected president. Right? It just complete loss of barakah. And I'm not saying this is not in all of the masjids. This is not even the majority of the masjid. This was in the minority of the masjid in America that this took place. But not such a small minority either. And we have continually keep hearing about such incidents. So this is not a good thing. You should donate and build a masjid, one of you or a group of you, for the sake of Allah subhanahu Then you should forget that you donated it. You should forget that you donated it. Right? And if other people donate as well, you should be happy that they donate. They should donate for the sake of Allah subhanahu This should not be made into factions and groups who are fighting for control of the masjid. Control of the masjid should be given to what type of people? So this is Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, verse number 18. إِنَّمَا يَأْمَنُوا مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهَ مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ That who indeed should be become a caretaker and custodian over all of the masajid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ and believe in the last day. Now this doesn't just mean belief, it means that those people whose lives are dominated by their belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their lives are dominated by their belief in the last day, in the day of judgment, in the akhirah. وَجَاهَدَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And those who are willing to struggle in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now here, it literally meant in the time of the Sahaba, as far as the Khanakaba goes, that those who are willing to make jihad fi sabil Allah, for other masajid, it means those who are willing to struggle and strive in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لَا يَسْتَوُونَ in the law. And so these people are not equal in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's eyes. They are not equal in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's eyes. I think I skipped a line here again. Uh, well, you, uh, sorry, well, Yom al-Akhri, those who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, believe in the day of judgment, aqama salata, and they establish their prayer, wa'ata zakata, and they pay their zakah, walam yaksha illallah, and they don't fear anyone except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are the criteria to be the custodian or member of the custodian committee of a masjid. فَأَسَا أُولَٰئِكَ أَن يَكُونُوا مِنَ الْمُحْتَدِينَ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that indeed soon these people are the ones who fall on rightful guidance. Here this next thing that is coming in verses 19 and 22, the original occasion of this revelation is that there were some sahaba who thought that now that after Fatih Makkah, we would rather become custodians of the Kaaba and give water to drink to the pilgrims who, pilgrims who come to do Umrah and Hajj. We would rather do that than engage in now the successive jihads. For example, the Battle of Hunayn is coming shortly, right? They felt that we would rather do this. So they viewed the custodianship of the masjid as a retirement plan from the struggle and striving and engaging in jihad fi sabilillah. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, that أَجَعَلْتُمْ سِكَايَةِ الْحَاجِ وَإِمَادَةِ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ كَمَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَجَاهَدَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ That are you equating, do you consider equal, giving water to the pilgrims and tending the sacred masjid, do you consider that to be equal to those people who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, believe in the Day of Judgment, and along with that, وَجَاهَدَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ They strive and struggle in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, لا يستوون إن الله. Indeed, these two groups can never ever be equal to in the eyes of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Wa la yahtal And indeed, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will never guide a community that is unjust and is of wrongdoers. 
what does it mean? Right? So it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned that there are different tasks in deen, different types of khidmat. But tending to the pilgrims will not be the same thing as jihad fi sabilallah. These are two different things. Right? Similarly, right, for the Saudis, the current government of the Saudis, and indeed they have done an incredible job of being custodians of Haramain Sharifin. But if they have not striven and struggled in the path of Allah subhanahu in other ways, they have not removed their opulence. Some of the Saudi royal family members, not the king per se, but some of the royal family members we know, I know for a fact, are engaging in drinking and alcohol, right? They are not striving and struggling in other ways. They cannot just think, right? Uh, there are certain injustices in that society in which they even treat Pakistani, Bangladesh, here other countries, Muslims, migrant workers being treated unjustly by them. Right, maids being raped by some of them. So if they're not striven and struggling in the path of Allah, just taking care of the pilgrims and giving them water and zamzam to drink will not suffice. And that is not equal to struggling in every single sense against your nafs for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Now here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allahina Amanu, those who believe wahajir and those who migrate wajahadu and migrate and migrate wajahadu and struggle and strive fi sabilullah in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala him both by spending their money, ba'anfusahim and even offering their bodies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a in the law. They have the greatest rank in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not just Adim, A'adham. They have the greatest rank in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? What is this being mentioned also? This is also that after Fatih Makkah, some of the people in Makkah Makkah did become Muslim. But they thought that if they became Muslim, that they would just have to sit in Makkah Makkah and tend to the pilgrims who came, and they would be custodians over Haram Sharif and its precincts. And they didn't want to go and make jihad fi sabilullah against the remaining communities. It's coming shortly. There's going to be details in the surah about the battle of Hunayn and how the mushrikeen gathered then in Hunayn and plotted against the Prophet ﷺ and then they were defeated. Then again they gathered again, right? So there was a group who felt that they didn't want to do that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that, look, you missed the opportunity. You didn't accept Islam when the Prophet was with you in Makkah Makarama. You didn't go for the Hijrah to Medina Manorah. You didn't participate on the side of the Muslims in the Battle of Badr, in the Battle of Uhud. You didn't come back with the Muslims in Fatih Makkah. You lost all those opportunities. You should now realize, but this is your way. The way is of Iman and Hijrah and Jihad fi sabilillah. Anybody who has done all of those three things, a'adhamu darajatan in the law, they have the greatest and highest of ranks with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa ula'ikahumul fa'izun. Indeed, these are the people who will be the successful ones. These are the ones who will rejoice in their success. Yubashirahum rabbahum birahmatim minhu. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself gives them glad tidings. Right? And what is the glad tidings? The glad tidings of His mercy. And what is on and His pleasure. What jannat in the home and that gardens will be for them. Fihal na'imum muqeem. And indeed they will be, uh, they will receive in their everlasting bliss. They will receive in their everlasting bliss and bounties. Na'im, it can mean bounties, can mean bliss. And muqeem means a perpetual, established, unfading, everlasting bounties and bliss. Khalidina fiha abada. And they will dwell in those jannat forever. Inna Allah indahu ajrun adeem. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, undoubtedly with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is a tremendous and a great reward. Okay? Alright. So these ayat are mentioning again the importance of iman, deep iman, hijrat, as well as jihad fi sabilillah. Alright. Many ahkam here of masjid, and there's many things that the Mufassirin have mentioned about 
how the masjid should be tended to. Basically, it should be kept clean. It should be a place where every ease and facility is given to those who want to do ibadah in that masjid. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, la tattakhidu aba'akum wa ikhanakum awliya'a. Alright. In istahabbul kufra. Alright, what does this mean? The Rawi believe this is referring to those believers, those sahaba kram who came from split families. And this can apply again today to a convert or can apply today for a Muslim family in which there are some who are believing, practicing Muslims and the others who are agnostic, non-practicing Muslims. So what is Allah subhanahu saying in the Quran? That all believers, do not take your fathers and your brothers, do not, literally means do not take your fathers and your brothers, awliya'a as your beloved intimate friends. And here it also means because the ahkam of jihad are coming as allies, as your allies, right? If what in istahabbul kufra, it means, it means that they prefer, but it comes from muhabbat. They lovingly prefer. They view as mustahab. They view kufr to be mustahab alal iman. They lovingly prefer kufr over iman. Right? And sometimes you will have that. You will have today the atheist who loves his atheism. Right? They love it. They love what their mind comes up with. They love their akli soch. So if they love their kufr over their iman, so Allah SWT is saying is that, Oh, you believe, do not take those of your fathers and those of your brothers as awliya who have chosen kufr over iman. Now again, with this verse, then one can understand. The other verses where Allah Ta'ala said, don't take Jews and Christians. They weren't even your fathers and brothers. They were non-family members. Here it's saying that family members shouldn't be taken as awliya. Awliya means, number one, that they shouldn't be taken as deep intimate friends, but it also means that they shouldn't be taken as allies. And then now here in Surah Tawbah, verse number 24, one of the most important ayat of Qur'an al-Kareem that explains to you what exactly muhabbat ilahi and muhabbat rasul are. Qul say to them, my beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in kana aba'akum, that if your fathers, wa abna'ukum, or your sons, wa ikhwanakum, or your siblings, wa azwajukum, or your spouses, wa ashiratukum, and your families and relatives, wa amawalu, or your wealth and your money, أَمْوَالٌ uh, تَرَفْتُمُوهَا وَتِجَارَةٌ تَقْشَوْنَ كَسَادَهَا That all of your money that you have earned or your businesses that you fear تَقْشَوْنَ That you fear kasada That you fear that they go into loss وَمَسَاكِنُ Or your homes and your dwellings تَرْذَوْنَهَا The homes and dwellings that, that give you pleasure The homes that you love to live in Your kotiyas that give you so much pleasure If any or all of these things are what? أَحَبَّ إِلَيْكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَجِهَادٍ فِي سَبِيلِهِ That if any of these things are more beloved to you than Allah SWT or more beloved to you than Sayyidina Rasulullah SAW or more beloved to you than striving and struggling in the path of Allah SWT فَتَرَبَّسُوا Then you should wait حَتَّى يَعْتِيَ اللَّهُ بِأَمْرِهِ Until Allah SWT sends down His command وَاللَّهُ لَا يَهْدِ الْقَوْمَ الْفَاسِقِينَ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never ever guide a community of sinful, of sinners, sinful, sinful transgressors. Alright. What does this mean? That none of these things can be, we have to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than all of these things. We have to love Sayyidina Rasulullah more than all of these things. And jihad fi sabillah meant both things. We have to love fighting unjust aggression more than these things, more than we love staying at home in our comfortable home with our families, right? More than we love our spending, more than we love our own children. And it also means the other jihad, it means mujahadatun nafs, that we should fight our nafs from sin. 
So it means nothing, nothing should be more beloved to us than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu So this is that ayah that mentions when I had done for you in the, one of the earliest days of the Dora, the relationships, the relationship that Ummati has with their Nabi of Iman and Itaat and Ittiba and Muhabba. So this is the ayah that establishes love for Sayyidina Rasulullah This is the ayah that we are really, we all fall extremely short of. We prefer our creature comforts and we rather hang out with our families and we prefer our homes. And many of us probably even are guilty of loving our families and spouses and siblings and children and parents more than we love Nabi Akareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. More than we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. More than we love striving against our own nafs. More than we love striving for the path and for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is one of the most, most important ayat of Qur'an al-Karim. Surah At-Tawbah, verse number 24. Right. This does not mean, Allah is not saying here that we shouldn't love our families, but it's saying the love of the family should not be a rival, should not cause us to diminish, or should not cause us to be untrue in our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Verses 25 to 27 now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to mention the battle of Hunayn. The battle of Hunayn. لَقَدْ نَسْرَكُمُ اللَّهُ فِي مَوَاتِنَا كَثِيرَةٍ Indeed, Allah SWT has helped you on many, many occasions. وَيَوْمَ Hunain, And amongst them was the day of Hunayn. So what was the battle of Hunayn? The battle of Hunayn, this took place after the conquest, after the Fat- after Fatah Makkah. And there was a particular tribe called the Bani Hawazan. And their leader, his name was Malik ibn Auf. Important because we're going to mention him a little bit. Malik ibn Auf. And what he did is he saw that, okay, look, the Muslims have consolidated their rule from Medina Manara to Makkah Mukarrama. So what we should do is we need to launch an attack on them. We need to attack the Muslims in Makkah Mukarrama. Just like when the Prophet was in Medina Manawra, the Mushrikeen of Makkah felt we should attack the Muslims in Medina. Now the Muslims have returned to Makkah Mukarrama. Now the Mushrikeen in the surrounding areas feel they should attack the Muslims in Makkah Mukarrama. So he gathered his tribe, Bani Huazan, plus Bani Thaqif, plus Bani Nasr, plus Bani Jusham, plus Bani Sa'ad, plus some of the members of Bani Hilal. And they all gathered together and they massed all of their wealth and their forces and their weapons and they decided and they converged on this place called Hunayn. And they were planning this attack. So when Sayyidina Rasulullah received, when he received word of this, then he sent Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Hadud, uh, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abi Hadud al-Asnami to go to Hunayn and to live as a spy basically actually, to go and live amongst them and to learn about what they were doing. So when he came back, he told Sayyidina Sosam that they are fully intending to fight, and they are just making preparations to attack us. At this point, how many Sahaba were there? There were 10,000 Sahaba who joined, who went from Medina Manawra to Makkah Makkah and Fatih Makkah. And between Fatih Makkah and this battle of Hunayn, 2,000 more people from Makkah Makkah and Samshaniger has accepted Islam, so now they were 12,000 Sahaba Ikram. Now that there were 12,000 Sahaba Ikram, Sayyidina Rasulullah made the intention that fine, we won't wait for them to come to Makkah Makkah We are going to take the battle to them. We will themselves go meet them where they have amassed and converged. We will meet them at Hunayn. So Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sahaba Ikram, they set forth to Hunayn. This particular group, which is the first group, Bani Hawazan, of which Malik ibn Auf was leader, they were known for their archery. They were renowned archers. 
So they had positioned themselves in such a way that when the Muslims came towards Hunayn, they launched volleys of arrows. Volleys upon volleys of arrows, such that the Muslim army started, well, they were being attacked and struck with those arrows, and they started milling around. And in that time, arrows was like the equivalent today of aerial bombing. That was the aerial assault, right? And just like it causes panic today, it caused, there was some panic. It meant panic in the ranks of the believers. Very much similar to Uhud. Some of the Mufassirin say that the reason was this, that was because the Saba actually uh, felt that this would be an easy victory for them because of their strong numbers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first then inflicted them with some initial losses to show them that victory and help always comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's irrelevant whether you are few in number, such as in Badr, or whether you are large in number, such as in Hunayn. So Khair Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi many details, but Sayyidina Rasulullah then gathered all the Sahaba back to them and they regrouped and then they were able to defeat the enemy army at Hunayn. Then there was a group of people from the surrounding tribes between Makkah, Makkah and Hunayn who came to watch the battle. They came as like an audience to see who wins. During the course of this battle, just like he had done earlier, uh, we had mentioned to you in an early battle, Sayyidina Rasulullah when he picked up the sand, here Sayyidina Rasulullah picked up some rocks or pebbles, and he threw them, and he made the same dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, may you disfigure the faces of those unbelievers who have come to face us in battle. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made those rocks and pebbles disperse and strike each and every person. So all of these other people who had come as an audience to witness and let's see what happens, they saw the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they all became Muslim as well. They all became Muslim as well. However, many mushrikeen, right, escaped from Hunayn and then they went and they went to another place called Autas and they regrouped there. And then they regrouped and then they prepared again to form another attack against the Muslims. So here then Sayyidina Rasulullah did not go himself for this ghazwa. He sent Sayyidina Abu Amr with some Sahaba to fight them. In that Sayyidina Abu Amr who was the leader, he became shaheed. The leader of Sahaba, he was shaheed. But overall, the Muslims were granted victory. Then third, then they retreated, the mushrikeen retreated to Taif. And in Taif there was a large fortress. And in that fortress they hold themselves up in that fortress. Here Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallam and Sahaba went and they besieged that fortress. Sayyidina Salman al-Farsi suggested the use of the catapult and this is the first use of the catapult by the Muslims. But even then the fortress at Taif was so strong, what we call in English impregnable, right? impenetrable fortress, that the Prophet and Sahaba were not able to penetrate. Then Sayyidina something he decided, okay, we'll retreat back to Makkah Mukarramah. And he made dua to Allah subhanahu ta'ala. The second dua that he made for the guidance of people at Taif, he said, oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, grant them, grant them hidayah. If, if we're not able to defeat them and stop their injustice, then you grant them hidayah. And indeed then what happened was is that the following year in Ramadan a delegation came from Taif and they accepted Islam at the hands of the Prophet ﷺ and therefore the entire tribe, that was Bani Thaqif who was at Taif, the entire tribe of Bani Thaqif became Muslim. And some, so then there are two du'as that the Prophet made for Taif. The first story you know is a well-known story and the second is over here. Meanwhile, after they, after these three successive, the two defeats and sort of the stalemate at Taif, a lot of again, Malaghanimat, Anfal, booty, spoils of war was captured. A lot of prisoners were taken, right? So then Nabi Yakrim Sassam sent a letter to that Malik ibn Auf. And look, if you, if your tribe accepts Islam, then we will release all your prisoners back to you, and we will, I will, and release all your money back to you, and I will also gift you a gift of a hundred camels. 
So on hearing this, Malik bin Auf became Islam and he used to recite lots of poetry. Arabic poetry about Sayyidina Rasulullah about his generosity and how he won over the hearts of people and how he was, how would you put it, he was chivalrous in defeat and he didn't hold a grudge, right? So meaning Malik ibn Auf became one of the main, main Ashik Sahaba after he converted and he used to compose love poetry and poetry in praise of Sayyidina Rasulullah right? So all of this is coming. Okay, I'll do that in 28. Let me know this too. So far we did then. Verses 25 to 27. All of this is the discussion of Allah SWT helping the believers on the battle of Hunayn. Okay, so we ended here with Yoma Hunayn and on the day of Hunayn, the battle, the day of the battle of Hunayn. إِذْ أَعْجَبَتْكُمْ كَثْرَتُكُمْ that your abundant numbers put you in, you were well pleased, you were confident in your large numbers. But Allah says, But your being in large numbers was of no avail to you. When the archers launched their valley of arrows to you, it was no benefit to you. The arrows were coming down on you like anything, and the fact that you outnumbered them was not benefiting them. And then Allah SWT says indeed that the earth, the earth seemed to close in on you, despite its spaciousness. This is when the Muslims were milling around in pandemonium, when all of those arrows were raining down on them. And then Allah SWT says, then you turned tail and you fled. Then Allah SWT sent his sakina onto Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. Allah SWT sent a special tranquility and calm. What does this mean here? This means, number one, that Sayyidina Rasulullah remained calm and composed and he retained the sense to rally the Sahaba once again around him. And that Allah SWT sent a sakina down onto the believers that they were feeling this pandemonium when all of these arrows came down upon them. And they were feeling disheartened that they thought that they would be able to win easy victory due to their numbers. And then Allah SWT sent down forces that were not visible to others. So here again Allah SWT sent his mother the Nusrat, means sent down uh, an army of angels. Again it came in Hunayn. And then Allah SWT punished the disbelievers. Indeed this is the recompense and what the unbelievers deserve. ثُمَّ يَتُوبُ اللَّهُ مِنْ بَعْدِ ذَلَكَ عَلَى مَنْ And then Allah SWT relented and turned in His mercy and accepted His repentance of whomsoever He willed. وَاللَّهُ غَفُورُ رَحِيمٌ Indeed, Allah SWT is all forgiving, is all merciful. يَا وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِنَّمَا مُشْرِكُونَ النَّجَسُونَ That you believe indeed, know that those who ascribe partners to Allah SWT, the idol worshippers, idolaters, najasun, they're impure. They're najasa. They're impure. فَلَا يَكْرَبُ الْمَسْجِدَ الْحَرَامَ بَعْدَ آمِهِمْ And after this year, not no single one of them should ever be allowed even near, even near Masjid al-Haram, near Khanakama. وَنْ خِفْتُمْ أَيْلَةً فَسَوْفَ يُغْنِيكُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ إِنْ شَاءَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ أَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ And if you are afraid that you will become poor, then don't worry, bear in mind that Allah SWT will enrich you, يُغْنِيكُمُ Allah SWT will make you غَنِيمٍ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ From His fazl and His bounty and His blessings, if Allah SWT so wishes. Indeed, Allah SWT is all-knowing, is all-wise. Okay, this ayah over here, إِنَّمَا uh, مُشْرِكُونَ 
that indeed the believers, the idol worshippers are najis. What does this mean? This means, number one, it means they have a spiritual impurity in their heart. Because they ascribe partners and associate idols with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have a spiritual impurity in their heart, and therefore they should never ever be allowed near Masjid al-Haram. You would see anybody who goes from Umar and Hajj, you would see that when you're driving to Makkah Makarama from Jandar or Medina or wherever, there's an exit. It says, last exit for non-Muslims. Right? Because it means that non-Muslims are not allowed to go. However, different of the fuqaha have different views on this issue. And I will share it with you so that you know, because sometimes people also misunderstand this issue. But there's also, second, second meaning of impurity means that also they're physically impure because they don't do ghusl. So they be, enter into a state of janaba, or the women enter into a state of janaba, or a state of hez, and they don't purify themselves fully. And sometimes when some of them may take a shower, they may not actually gargle, and they may not snuff water up their nose, and they may not take care to make water enter, every, water flow every surface and enter every exposed cavity of their body. So in that case, it means they never are able to remove themselves of an impurity. So that's the second way it means, and that's why in the deen of Islam, when a person accepts Islam, they're supposed to make ghusl. And ghusl is meant to physically purify them, but also to be a right of spiritual purification. So what is the hukam about unbelievers entering into the masajid of Islam? Right? Okay, Imam Ta'ala was the he took the most, if you will, or I don't like to rephrase it like that. He took the most widest opinion, let's put it that way, that he said that they should not be allowed to enter Masjid al-Haram in the days of Hajj for the pilgrimage of Hajj or to make Umrah. But he did feel that if there is an unbeliever who has dhimmi status, which I explained to you earlier, right, who is in a state of a protected non-Muslim citizen of the Islamic state of whether that's Saudi Arabia today or whatever, the Ottoman Empire, and they want to go to Masjid al-Haram, it will be permissible for them to enter. That's Imam Nifa's position, that they can enter, but not for Hajj, not for Umrah, not on the days of Hajj. And if they're in a state of physical purity, and they're a zimmi, they can enter. And this is, you know, sometimes some people who live in Jeddah, sometimes they take a non-Muslim. And I know at least one guaranteed case of this where they took a non-Muslim just to see the Kaaba, because the non-Muslim was also wondering, what is it? And they became Muslim when they saw the Kaaba, and they saw people making tawaf, and they were so moved by such a scene. And our own Shaykh mentions when he once, when in the 1990s, when he was in Seattle, there was a convert woman who was so impressed, the women of the community, that when our Shaykh went to Seattle, uh, the Pakistani community says, you have to meet this woman, because she is the most muttaki woman in our community, and she outdoes us all, and we're all so ashamed that we were born as Muslims, and we don't do as much ibadah and have as much taqwa as she has. And what was her story? That her and her husband were posted in a multinational company in Riyadh, and every year they would hear about this Hajj, and they would always know about Umrah. They always used to wonder, they were just curious, that what is this attraction that all these Muslims from all over the world came? So then one day, then the two of them, they pretended, right? Because, you know, they're obviously white European Muslims who are going also. And as those of you who go, they don't really stop the cars and check, right? So they decided they went. And when they went, then she told, she said that when me and my husband entered into the room, and just second we saw the Kaaba, both of us were crying, tears started flowing down our eyes, and we were not even, we were even unaware of one another. Then after some time passed, and we looked at the other, we remembered our spouse, husband, remembered wife, wife, we looked at each other, and we saw that each, 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 each of us were crying. 
And then we both said to one another silently, we, we both said to one another simultaneously, that do you, do you realize? And they both said yes. They both took iman. They both asked one another, are you feeling the same thing that I'm feeling? And each one said yes. And they accepted iman. That's how they accepted Islam. Tahamda Imam Munifa Rimullah would have allowed such a thing. Right? Imam Shafi Rimullah feels that no, no non-Muslim should ever enter Masjid al-Haram ever in any way whatsoever. That was his ishtihad also. That can also be very well understood from the words of this Quran is quite clear. إِنَّمُ مُشْرِكُونَ نَجَسٌ فَلَا يَكْرَبُوا فَلَا يَكْرَبُوا الْمَسْجِدَ الْحَرَامَ Okay, بَعْدَ آمِهِمْ They should never ever enter, never come near Masjid after this year. Alright? As far as other masajid go, as far as other masajid go, uh, obviously Imam Munifa permits that as well, and Imam Shafi permits that as well. Imam Malik, according to one of his narration, he felt that they shouldn't enter any masjid whatsoever. That is quite tough, right? Because obviously there are many non-Muslims, even in this country, and, in, and certainly in other countries, that they do come to the masjid because they want to look at, and they want to see, maybe hear the adhan, or see Muslims' prayer, experience a Friday sermon, or something like that. So, here I wanted to mention, these were the ahkam to you. Okay, now from, we have reached, I did this. Here we do verse 28. Yes, okay. Now verse number 29. Another ayah that is often mm, plucked out out of context and made to seem as if Islam is some type of warmongering religion. So this is Surah Tawbah, Surah number 9, verse number 29. Yes, here what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Alright. قَاتُلُ الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَلَا بِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ That you should fight. First of all, it doesn't mean kill. We told you, قَاتِل and قَتِل. قَتِل means kill and قَاتِل means to fight. Fight those who disbelieve in Allah SWT and disbelieve also. Who don't believe in Allah SWT and also don't believe in the last day. وَلَا يُحَرِّمُونَ مَا حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ and they do not forbid or view as prohibited what Allah Taala has made prohibited. وَرَسُولُهُ and what the Prophet has made prohibited. وَلَا يَدِينُونَ دِينَ الْحَقِّ مِنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ And they uh, do not obey the deen, that deen, uh, they do not obey the deen of haqq. And who are these people? مِنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ Who are these people? Who you should fight? They are from some of those people from whom the book has been given, the Ahl Kitab. And you should fight them حَتَّى يُوتُوا الْجِزْيَةَ until they give you the jizya, right? And yadiu wahum sahirun until they give the jizya and they also agree to submit. All right. What is going on in this ayah? So up till now you have had ahkam of jihad against mushrikeen and kufar. Here is now the ahkam of jihad against the ahl kitab. Just so you see, by the way, because Allah Subhanahu is going to mention just now in the next two ayahs, the ahl kitab have a problem. And what is that? So let's just, let me do verse number 30 as well. The Jews say that Uzair is the son of Allah SWT. And the Christians say, Al-Masih, they say that Isa is the son of Allah SWT, that these are simply statements that emerge from their mouths. They're repeating what earlier disbelievers had said. May Allah SWT confound them. May Allah SWT destroy them. May Allah SWT destroy them based on what they're saying. Right? فَتَلَاهُمُ Allah. Anna Yufakun, where are they? Why are they wandering astray? 
So here in 30 and 31, let me also read the next time, they take their rabbis and their monks as lords instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they've taken Isa ibn Maryam alayhi salam also as a god instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, they were commanded to serve only one, obey, worship only one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no deity except Him, la ilaha illahu, subhanahu amma yushakuna, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above all that they ascribe to Him. So this is now this Ahli Kitab. So here it said, Minaladina, from some of the Ahli Kitab. Those Ahl Kitab who viewed Uzair to be the son of Allah, who viewed Isad salam to be the son of Allah, those who were taking their rabbis and monks and priests as gods instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these Ahl Kitab, these Ahl Kitab have option. One option, number one, is that they can leave the Muslim land. Option number two, they can stay, they can stay as zimmi status, protective zimmi status, right? And many times people, they, with the enemies of Islam, they only quote the first, and they don't mention that you can fight them until hatta yu'tul jizyata, until they pay the jizya. If they pay the jizya, then they become non-Muslims, protected non-Muslim citizens of the Islamic State, who are paying a tax for the, in order, for exchange for which they get that citizenship, and they get their protected status. وَهُمْ سَاغِرُونَ What does سَاغِرُونَ mean? وَهُمْ سَاغِرُونَ means they have to accept the fact that Islam is ghalib now on this territory. Now they must be citizens. So just like if you want to be a citizen of America, you have to accept that the constitution is ghalib. You cannot say that I want Sharia to be enacted in America. That's foolish. That's nonsensical. You have to accept if you want to live in, as a citizen or even as a visa holder in America, that you are voluntarily choosing to live in a land where the supreme law of the land is the United States Constitution and the legislation in the Supreme Court and not the Sharia. So exactly the same thing is here, that those non-Muslims who want to live in a Muslim land, Buhum Sahirun means that they are going to accept that they are now, they are subjugated to the laws of the Islamic State in that land. That's what it means. Alright? So it's nothing, nothing that every other nation state doesn't demand of its citizens or its residents or even its visitors. Alright? Okay. So the, if they do, if they, if they accept Islam, obviously that's fine. If they accept to live in the jizya, that is fine. Otherwise they will be fought. Otherwise they will be fought. Not in their own lands. Not in their own lands. Right? This is talking about in the consolidation of the Islamic State in the Arabian Peninsula. Alright? Okay. So what would it mean then refusal to pay jizya? Now why would they refuse to pay jizya? They would refuse to pay jizya obviously because they don't, the link is they don't view humasaghinu. They don't accept, they don't give up, they want that their law should be the law of the land. Right? So in that situation then they will be fought up till until the point not to kill them, not to exterminate them, not for genocide, in order to make them protected citizens of the Islamic State until they're willing to accept that. Until they're willing to accept that. Alright? Okay. And it's very clear, right, that they cannot be fought if they pay the jizya and they agree to live as zimis. Alright. Question that some people raise here, that why are the Jews and Christians being referred to as those who don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the last day? Right? Because it was been La Yu'minuna Billahi wa La Bil But means that because they don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's tawheed, they don't believe in the Quranic God concept, so that means they don't believe in Allah. Believing in the Trinity doesn't mean means that you don't believe in Allah. What does it mean that you don't believe in the last day? Well there were some of them who even denied afterlife 
And it was some of them that they're not living for the last day. They're not living as if they're going to be facing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, having to account for these beliefs of their trinity and their ascribing divinity to Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. Alright. Another question that people ask is, uh, what about the status of Jewish and Christian or non-Muslim places of worship? So I told you that they are given the freedom to practice their religion and worship in their places of worship. Then I told you that those places of worship are protected. Question is that what about are they allowed to build additional places of worship? Are they allowed to build additional places of worship? Here there's a difference of opinion amongst ulama on this. Number one, they say that as far as the Islamic State goes, the Islamic State will not give its funds for the construction of a new place of worship. However, if there is a place of worship of theirs that has fallen into ill repair and needs to be renovated or reconstructed, actually the ulama say that the Islamic State may, at the discretion of the emir, actually give funds for the repair and reconstruction of an existing place of worship, but it will not give fund to fund a new place of worship for them. They, from their own private funds, if they, you know, let's say they're, 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 they need more places of worship, they will be allowed to build places of worship for themselves, but that will be done from their private funds. The reason this is mentioned in the books of Fiqh, because traditionally the masajid were all built by the state as part of okaf or endowments, right? That's today now, you know, we have private masajid as well, but otherwise classically building masajid, Islamic places of worship, was the job of the state. So this is making clear that they won't build any additional ones for them. They have to fund that from their own private funds. But if there are any that have fallen to ill repair, they will, the, the Islamic State can pay. It's up to the discretion of the Emir, but it is allowed in Islam for the Islamic State to spend its own funds from its own treasury to rebuild and to reconstruct or to renovate, however the case may be, of their places of worship. All right, these eyes of verses 30 and 31 makes it clear, number one, that when the Jews and Christians are saying that Uzair is the son of God or Isa is the son of God, that is viewed as a type of shirk. And that's why those Ahl-Kitab who were guilty of shirk, then they are viewed as mushrikeen and the ahkam that pertain to mushrikeen that were mentioned earlier will be pertained to them as well. That they will have to pay the jizya and accept that their laws will not be the laws of the land. Here also, if you saw, there was one mention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Sayyidina Rasulullah right? What only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can declare what is halal and haram, and Sayyidina Rasulullah can also declare what is haram, that came in the earlier verse as well. Alright. Okay, verse number 32 uh, uses a metaphor. And what is the metaphor? The metaphor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using to describe the desire or wish of the disbelievers to extinguish deen on earth. So what is it? Literally, literally it says, هُوَ الَّذِي يُرِيدُونَ أَن Literally it means and they wish to extinguish the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How بِأَفْوَاهِهِمْ with their mouths, which means with the words that they speak and utter. وَيَابَ اللَّهُ إِلَّا أَن يُتِمَّ نُورَهُ وَلَوْ كَرِهَ الْكَافِرِينَ But indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, uh, is going to bring His light to its full strength. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will manifest His light in its full strength even if the disbelievers dislike such a thing. So what is this nur? So here deen of Islam is being referred to as the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
the community of believers, community of Muslims, Sahaba Ikram, are being referred to as the Nur of Allah SWT. Because if you think about it, what were they trying to extinguish? When they're going, they're actually, Badahir, they're trying to extinguish, eliminate, extirpate Sahaba and the Prophet Right? They're trying to eliminate the deen of Islam. So in all of these senses, and so what is Allah SWT saying? نُورَهُ but Allah SWT is going to completely fulfill and manifest in full strength His nur, even if the disbelievers detest and dislike such a thing. Who Allah SWT is that being? Rasuluhu, He sent His Messenger Huda with guidance, وَدِينِ الْحَقِّ And sent Him with the true deen, the deen that is absolute truth. لِيُذْهِرَهُ عَلَى الدِّينِ كُلِّهِ So that the true deen would become manifest over and above all of the other adyan, al-deen kullihi, over all other religions, walaw kariha al-mushrikoon, even if the mushrikeen dislike and detest such a thing. So it makes it clear what is called ghalabat islam ilai kalimatillah, the establishment of deen of Islam over and above all deens, is a purpose Allah Ta'ala is saying in Qur'an, one of Allah Ta'ala's goals and objectives that Allah Ta'ala is outlining in Qur'an al-Kareem. How much? Practically on earth, when will this happen? Well, there are three levels of the dominance of Islam over other deens. Number one was this in the Arabian Peninsula, right? And then the height of the Islamic civilization. That Islam was established as the Ghalib deen of the Ghalib civilization on earth. When Islam was in its golden period, Europe was going through its dark ages. So sorry, that's the second one. The first one would be actually Fatih Makkah, establishment of Islam as the deen in Haraman, in Masjid al-Haram, in Makkah Makarama. Second establishment of deen is in that sense when Islam reached its height. Another way people have taken this third way that they mean establishment of deen is that, and of course this is something that could be subject to debate and disagreement, but for the believing Muslims perspective, that Islam has now been established at a level of truth. So that no religion can claim to be true now. Right? In other words, the hujiyat and haqqaniyat and haqiqat of Islam has now been established at such a level through the Qur'an, through Nabi Akareem sallam that no other religion can lay a claim to being true. Of course, non-Muslims wouldn't feel that way, but the Islamic sentiment is precisely that. That the truth has been established so clearly that nothing else can lay claim to the truth. And you will find, you know, that in this world globally, the number of non-Muslims who accept Islam is more than any other conversion to any other religion in the world. And it has been like that from the very time of Sayyidina Rasulullah And you have leading people from these Western societies accepting Islam. There's not been a single, single leading Muslim who has accepted any of their religions. You have their, some of their leading actors, some of their leading musicians, some of their leading professors, their own guards of Guantanamo Bay, right? Allahu Akbar. Can you imagine that? That establishes the Haqqanit of Islam. Their journalist who was captured by Taliban herself, then she accepts Islam. Ajeeb. Right now, the dean of the British Academy, the Royal Air Force Academy, they're like whatever equivalent of, their British equivalent of West Point. He's Muslim. Dr. Joel Hayward, he's got a whole website where he writes things. And he's still the dean. He's the dean of the British RAF Academy. You can Google it, Joel Hayward. There's no Muslim dean like that who has converted to Christianity and Judaism. There's no way. There's no leading personality, accomplished personality of Muslims who has accepted Judaism and Christianity. 
And they keep, many, many of them, they keep accepting. German ambassadors have accepted Islam. Muhammad Assad was a German. Oh, Murad Hoffman was a German ambassador, right? So in that sense also, you can understand that the deen of Islam has become a ghalib. And the last way the deen of Islam will become ghalib and manifest itself over all types of deen and adyan is what I mentioned to you is a certain scenario that will take place in the end of time. Alright. Ya amanu, or you believe indeed know the kathira min al-ahbari wal-ruhbana, that you should know that indeed a vast majority of the rabbis and the monks of these people, what do they do? They ya'kuluna amwal al They're after people's money. They eat and consume the money and wealth of people bil-batil on the basis of falsehood. وَيَسُدُّونَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And they prevent those people from following the path of Allah SWT. وَالَّذِينَ يَكْنِزُونَ الذَّهَبَ وَالْفِزَّةَ And those who hoard up and store as treasures, gold and silver. وَلَا يُنْفِقُونَهَا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And they do not spend on the path of Allah SWT. فَبَشِّرْهُمْ بِأَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ That you should tell them and inform them of the tidings that they will be faced with an incredibly painful punishment. Alright. Now why is Allah SWT telling this to the believers? Number one, Allah SWT is telling the believers so that they should have, number one, some sympathy with the average common Jew and Christian. That they have been misled by their rabbis and their monks, by their priests and their clergy. Right? And so that we should make an effort to reach out to them. We should make da'wah in them. Second, Allah SWT mentioned this because Allah Ta'ala was showing the rabbis and the clergy, showing them that He knows what they do and why they do it. He's showing them that he knows what they do and why they do it. Third is also, we can also take a lesson from this, is that Allah SWT wants us to know, that we shouldn't follow this path. Right? So our ahbar, our ulama, and our ruhban are called the awliya. So the ulama and awliya should not do anything for money. And alhamdulillah, this deen has been blessed that the true ulama and true awliya of this ummah, they were never after people's money. And one easy way you can tell a false wali, the person's a false wali, is he's after your money. That you have to go and put a chadar of, you know, 100, 1000 rupee notes on his grave, on his father's grave, of which he is Gadinashin. And then he'll make dua for you. Hasine, right? This is not the way Deen of Islam teaches. So any person who is after people's money, right? It means that they're not true ulama and awliya. They're following the corrupt and evil path of the rabbis and monks of the Jews and Christians that they take people's money with batal. There's no fee for dua. People don't realize that. I'll tell you one story. Once a woman, she came to my office at Lums and she asked me a question. So I answered her. She opened up her purse and she said, Kitne paise? Literally. I was stunned for just a few seconds. I was just stunned. I was completely stunned. And it took me, and then, and then she thought, I was pausing, thinking of what rate to charge her. And then I also realized that, that that's what she said. And I quickly said that there's no such, you know, there's no, I don't take anything for this, right? And she looked at me, she looked at me like a big, a jeep right? She just looked, I remember her, her head tilted like this. And she looked at me, and then I just, I couldn't, I just, I told her, you can go now, right? To end this, I mean, I, Normally don't tell people that. We let them excuse themselves. But just to end this awkwardness, I said, Ab And then she just looked and then she, she left. Right? So actually, and then I realized that this was, this was what she was used to. She was used to going to people who must, you know, charge her for some dam or dua. It wasn't, uh, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't trying to insult me. She was that, this was normal for her. This was normal for her. 
So then I realized that there must be a lot of people like that. There must be a lot of charlatans like that, that for this woman it was considered a normal thing to do. If that has become the norm, then that means there's a lot of deviation. So ulama and awliya are not supposed to take your money for things like dua or dham or nasiha or mashallah. You will see also fatwa. You can go to any Darul Ifta, you get free legal consultation. I mean, people should reflect on this. There is no lawyer who is going to give you free legal advice. Right? So there is no lawyer who is going to give you free legal advice at any level. If they give you a free consultation, it's only just to rope you in. You go to any madrasa, Darul Ifta, any madrasa, you go to the madrasa, any madrasa, you will be given legal advice all the way up to the level of formal written fatwa for free. Yes, it is permissible for ulama to charge for certain other services, certainly. The ulama who are shri advisors at banks, they draw salary for that. The ulama who are shri advisors or who are advising Islamic taqafla, because those are full-time jobs, right? So that is a salaried position. Okay? All right. And certainly for ulama who are imams and teachers at the madrasa, they are all entitled to their salary. All right. Here, Yoma, is this where we are? Yes. What's going to happen to these rabbis and monks? What is going to happen due to the money that they hoard? And here Allah Ta'ala had mentioned another group of people. وَالَّذِينَ يَكْنِزُونَ الذَّهَبَ وَالْفِزَّةِ Those who hoard gold and silver. So we can think this about Muslims as well. That we amass our money, our savings, we don't spend for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we don't give charity, we're just increasing our balance and our balance and our balance. So some Muslims can also be guilty of this activity of hoarding and of being guilty of la yunfikunaha fi sabilillah. Right? That they're not willing to spend on the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about such these two types of people? What's going to happen to these two types of people? So on the day, means on the day of judgment, Jahannam will be heated up and their gold and silver will be heated up in the fire of Jahannam. And then that molten, hot gold and silver will be used to brand and imprint their foreheads and their sides and their backs. And then they will be told that this is what you used to hoard for yourselves. This is that money that zakat was farther on you and you didn't give zakat for it. This was that money that usher was farther on you, you had lands and you didn't give the usher for that. So this is what you hoarded for yourselves. Now feel the pain of what you have hoarded. Literally it means, and now taste for ma kuntum taknizun. Now taste, and taste what it was that you were hoarding for yourself. Alright? So this is an intent punishment. It means that we should all be, make sure that certainly the farz and wajib charities that we have to give from zakat and usher or the employees wages that are due upon us Right? Or the rights that others have over us, or loans that we could pay back, which we have taken out and we have not paid them back. All of these things should be given back to the people instead of hoarding the months. Alright. Verse number 36 on Rasul Sponsor says, Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that there are 12 months. 12 months in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that will be in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day when He created the heavens and the earth. Four of those months are sacred. So this is Rajab, Zulqada, Zulhijjah and Muharram. Four of them, Arba'atun, Nuhurumun. Four of them are sacred months. This is indeed Dalak and Deen al-Qayyim. That this is the straight deen. 
This is also Adin al-Qayyim is a very favorite title throughout Islamic history. Different books have been written by this. A wonderful book by Malana Manazir Asin Gilani Rimullah, one of the greatest Indian pre-partition Indian Muslim scholars called Adin al-Qayyim. فَلَا تَلِّمُوا فِيهِنَّ أَنفُسَكُمْ That in those four sacred months, you should not oppress yourselves, you should not commit any injustice against yourselves in those four months. Meaning that you should yourself not be the first to perpetrate or to commit aggression in those four months. وَقَاتِلُوا الْمُشْرِكِينَ كَافَةً كَمَا يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ كَافَةً And those mushrikeen who fight you, and they fight you, Yes, those mushrikeen who fight you uh, with full verve and with full strength, then you should fight them as well the same way they are fighting you. If they first fight you, then you may also fight them in full verve and full strength. What does it mean this was referring to a violation that the mushrikeen violated the sacred months? And so the Muslims were a bit reluctant, were reluctant to fight. So the mushrikeen had no compunction, no, they didn't feel bad at all that they violated the sacred months. So here Allah SWT is saying that if they violate the sacred months, then you should fight them with as much full verve and fight all of them just as they are fighting all of you. Fight all of them just like they are fighting all of you. means if they choose to fight all of you, they are, for example, sending an army on all of Medina Manora, then you will have to then fight all of them back. And know that indeed Allah SWT is with the people of Taqwa. Alright. Postponing. Okay, this next thing is in the Nasi. This is referring to postponing the sacred months. So postponing the sacred months is just yet another act of disobedience that is committed by those disbelievers who have chosen to go astray. During some years they declare these months lawful, while during other years they declare them sacred, so as to complete the counts of month that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declared to be sacred. But in doing so, what are they doing? They have actually permitted what Allah ta'ala had made forbidden, and their evil deeds and evil actions have been made alluring to them, have been made beautified for them, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not guide the community and such a people of kafirin, of disbelievers. What does this mean? This means that the Arabs, what does it mean by postponing the sacred months? What they used to do is that they would postpone a sacred month so that they could continue their fighting. For example, if they were fighting, when this is the pre-Islamic Arabian practice, so they were fighting one another, and the month of Muharram was going to come up. So when they were fighting in the month of Muharram, they would keep fighting, and they would say it's not Muharram yet, it's still suffer. In other words, they wouldn't base their months on the basis of the moon, they would just postpone the month. And then they would observe Muharram the following month, for example. So they say, we keep fighting, we keep fighting, and when, the, when we decide to stop fighting, then we'll declare it Muharram. So they postponed the month, they didn't observe the months at their fixed and appointed times. Alright. And we arrived in earlier where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned that He has made the sun and the moon in particular orbits so that we may calculate our time and our calendar as well as calculate our location and direction from the means of the two of them. And what, what happens was they were doing this with the Muslims as well. So because this was a habit they had in pre-Islamic Arabia, so they would fight the Muslims even in the sacred months, viewing it, pretending as if it wasn't a sacred month, and then they would want the Muslims to postpone it and later on declare it to be Muharram. So this is something that Allah SWT is saying, that He does not allow and this will not be permissible.
verse number 38. Why is it that when you are told that go forth in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what do you do instead that you feel weighed down on the ground? Literally it can mean إِثَّاقَلْتُمْ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ Literally it means that you feel weightily or you drop heavily to the ground or you feel weightily pulled down to the ground. What does it mean is that you don't want to go. You don't want to go. Right? This is a very good metaphor, right? We can say the same thing that when you're called to pray Fajr Salah, you feel weighted down. The gravitational effect of your bed on you goes up to about 2, 3 G. It's not the normal gravitational effect that the earth pulls on you. It's about 2, 3 G. So that's what Allah is saying, is that when you're called for to go to jihad, the gravitational effect of your comfort of your homes goes up to 2, 3 G. You feel weighted down. You feel pulled down and attracted down. That's what Allah is saying. Are you pleased with the life of this world instead of the life of the Akhirah? What does it mean that when you go and go to defend your deen against the unjust aggressor, you are doing a work of Akhirah? And do you rather feel more pleased and more attracted and more enjoyment with the life of this world compared with the life to come? So then Allah says that no, look, if you do not go forth, if you do not go forth for the path of Allah, you do not fight the unjust aggressors when they have launched their armies to attack you, then what will happen? Allah will punish you severely. Again, right, this is I think the second or maybe third time where you find these words coming in the Quran, same words that Allah Ta'ala uses for kuffar and mushrikeen, same words Allah Ta'ala is using for sahaba mu'mineen, if they don't follow the commandments of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. So it means that Allah is Allah. Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala's kibrayi and azmat and His power and His might is for everyone. And we should tremble when we read these verses that if Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala is saying that His command is so strong, that failure to comply and obey with His command, and that in Quran He can address the community of the Prophet and say that if you don't follow this command, you adhibkum adhaban alima, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will indeed punish you with an intensely painful punishment, then we should think that what in the world will happen to us if we don't fulfill and enact the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this earth. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and if you don't, you will get the punishment severely, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will replace you with another nation. And indeed you will not have harmed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the slightest by not fulfilling His commands. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has all powerful over each and everything. And then, And if, even if you do not help Sayyidina Rasulullah the who means, if you do not help him, means you do not help the Prophet Know that indeed, that Allah فَقَدْ نَصَرَهُ اللَّهُ But know that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped him. إِذْ أَخْرَجَهُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا That when the unbelievers drove him out of their home, this is when that the unbelievers forced the Prophet to make the hijrah from Makkah Makkah to Medina Manaras. Allah ta'ala saying indeed he helped him. How? So ثَانِيَثْ نَيْنْ That Nabi Akhtar was the second of the two. إِذْ هُمَا فِي الْغَارِ When the two of them were in the cave. So that, in that point, what happened? So he said, said to to his sahib, and that is Sayyidina Abu Bakr as Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anha, la tahzan, do not grieve in any way. Inna Allah ma'ana, that know that indeed Allah is with us. So this is this famous ayah, 
where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq as the sahib, the companion, intimate companion and friend of Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. Therefore anybody who views that Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq is an unbeliever, any theology, any theological movement, and anybody who fails to reject and repudiate such a theology, that views Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq as an unbeliever, that goes against this ayah of Qur'an. Because the Qur'an is saying that he is sahib rasul And no unbeliever is going to be sahib rasul And Nabi claims the Thani Ithnayn, that what then Allah Ta'ala, and this whole incident is being mentioned as Fakad Nasrahullah, as a sign of the help of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. That when the, the, the Nabi was the second of the two, and when the two of them were in the cave, and he said to his companion, that don't grieve at all, indeed Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is with us. فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتَهُ عَلَيْهِ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused His sakina to descend, His tranquility to descend. وَأَيَّدَهُ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped the Prophet بِجُنُودٍ And helped him with armies. Right? لَمْ تَرَوْهَا That you were not able to see. So this was done earlier, both in Hunayn and Badr and Uhud. We've seen the sakina and we've seen the coming of angels. So this is the way. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that, Look, believers, if you don't go forth on the jihad, it doesn't matter. You won't harm Allah Ta'ala at all. You won't hurt Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala at all. And your failure to go out won't mean that the Prophet will be harmed in any way because Allah Ta'ala will help him by sending such companions with him, such as Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq Madadano. Allah Ta'ala will help the Prophet by sending Sakina on the Muslims who do go forth for jihad. Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala will help the Prophet by sending armies which are unseen, i.e. armies of angels to assist him, armies of angels to assist him. Alright? And then what is Allah? And Allah literally means that Allah Ta'ala made the word of the unbelievers on the lowest. It means that Allah Ta'ala brought down their kalima, their word, their plotting, their decree, their slogan, their ideology. Allah Ta'ala made it the most base and put it at the bodhist. And وَكَلِمَتُ And the kalima of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the proclamation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, And that is at the uppermost, that is the most exalted. وَاللَّهُ azizun hakim. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is almighty, all-merciful. Almighty, all-wise. Here, after Sayyidina Rasulullah returned from Taif, now we're continuing, right? That We had Hunayn, then Autas, then Taif, then Madrasim returned from Taif, making the dua for those people, the may Allah Ta'ala guide them. Then he received yet another news, that another offensive is being planned against the Muslims. And this is now the first Muslim that is coming from outside the Arabian Peninsula. The Romans, the Byzantines were planning an offensive against the Muslims. Because they were concerned. You see, hitherto they had been completely unconcerned with the Arabian Peninsula. Because they viewed it also as uncouth, jahiliya tribes who were always fighting one another, arid desert land, the Roman Empire and Persian Empire for that matter. None of the two empires could have been bothered by it. But all of a sudden when they heard news that now a power has emerged, a power has emerged which has consolidated all these different tribes, which is consolidated from Medina to Makkah, Makarramah, now also Hunayn, and now even as soon, but not at this point yet, but soon, shortly thereafter, Taif. So they got concerned. And this is the name, this is what in international relations we call great power rivalry. Right? And when you have great power rivalry, there's strategies. And so the Roman Empire began to view Deen of Islam as an empire. That's what I told you was the first ghalaba. 
right? That when Islam was established on the Prince. So what was their response? They started massing their armies and they were preparing for an offensive against the Muslims and they were converging at that end fringe of the Roman Empire, which is Syria, which is close to, right? Which is the closest frontier, if you will, of the Roman or Byzantine Empire to the Muslim time. So what did Sayyidina Sallallahu do when his scouts told him this? So he told the Sahaba that they should mobilize the army. They should prepare themselves to counteract this attack. All right? That they should prepare themselves to counteract this attack. Some of the believers were reluctant to fight. This is what it was referring to. Not those of you who are going to be reluctant to fight. Some of them didn't want to fight. Some of them felt that we've finally gotten this peace. We are content now. And interesting, by the way, as all of you know, I think, Sayyidina Rasulullah even though he loved Makkah Makarramah, and he cried upon leaving Makkah Makarramah, and he made dua to the Kaaba, that, O oh, Kaaba, I would never leave you except for that my own community is expelling me from you, he was also ultimately true and loyal. This is an incredible sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah Otherwise, you would think that after Fatih Makkah, Sayyidina Rasulullah would now start living in Makkah Makarramah because of his love for the Kaaba. No, he went back to Medina Manawar. The capital of the Islamic State remained Medina Menorah because he felt his loyalty to the people of Medina Menorah that because they had accepted him when no one was willing to accept him, it did not, it would not look right. It does not befit his status and stature as a prophet to abandon them now that he has gotten Makkah Makarama back and therefore Medina Menorah remained the capital and as all of you know, Sayyidina Rasulullah passed away in that very same Medina Menorah and he is resting there to this day. This is the incredible loyalty of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. No being has ever, no human has ever been so loyal. It's a sunnah that we should all try to aspire and we should try to follow that same loyalty whether it's with our parents or our children or our siblings or our friends or our students and teachers. He's ultimately loyal. So loyal. That despite his love for the Kaaba, he still went back to Medina Manawar. Right? So, so the believers also, right? I mean, there were some believers who now settled. Now there are believers everywhere, right? But the core of the believers were in Medina Manawrah, which is the masses, right? Because obviously, if you had a choice, what's even more than the Kaaba is if, if you're living at the time when the Prophet is alive, right? So even more than the Kaaba is to be close to Sayyidina Rasulullah So the bulk of the Mu'min were still in Medina Manawrah. But after having dawned Fatimaka come back and there was a state of happiness and a state of joy and that everything is fine now and these enemies are finished and we don't have to deal with any more aggression and no more armies will march against us. Then all of a sudden they got this news. It's not over. <laughs> now the Romans are after you. Right? So some of them, they didn't want to go forth. Not because they didn't love Allah SWT, not because they didn't love the Prophet not because they weren't true, but they just felt that it, you know, a person gets weary of war. Right? A person gets weary of war. Allah Ta'ala saved us from that weariness. We're the other <laughs> extreme. They had reached another level. So these ayahs were recited then. This is when Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala saying, that you believe, why is it that you don't go forth when you're told to go forth? And if you don't go forth, no, and you're so, you feel so weightily attracted to the ground. All of these ayahs were recited in this particular issue. Alright. And this is only a very small group of Sahaba very small numbers who had just been a bit reluctant in going. It's not even that they didn't go. It's not even that, they, but they expressed a little bit of reluctance when they were going. All right. At this instant, right, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to remind the Sahaba Ikram of the early incidents of the Hijrah. When Sayyidina Rasulullah went only with Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq. So the hikmah, the rubbed here, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Sahaba that, look, I don't need you to help the Prophet I helped the Prophet myself when he migrated from 
Makkah, Makarma, Medina, Manawara. Right? And so then, and then there's that beautiful passage about Sayyidina Al-Sussalam and Sayyidina Abu Bakr As-Siddiq. Now why did the Prophet say this to him? By the way, they don't grieve Allah Ta'ala, Allahu Ma'ana. That's because they, that some of the enemies had sent scouts searching for the Prophet in this hijrah. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr As-Siddiq, he saw that some mushrikeen had come right up to the mouth of the cave. And he got worried. He wasn't worried for himself, was worried lest they discover Sayyidina Rasulullah let this escape not be pulled off successfully. And then again, there's the incident of the spider spinning the cobwebs on the mouth of the cave that I did for you, either yesterday or the day before. Alright? Okay. Okay. Now we're on verses 41 onward. And this really means that you should proceed and you should go forth in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and go forth and meet those Romans. It literally means that you should go forth either light or you should go out heavy. So it can mean that you should go forth lightly armed or heavily armed. Right? And you should strive with your wealth and with your bodies and your strength in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is better for you in kuntum ta'lamun. If indeed you were people, if only you were new, if you were people who knew. That if indeed, if the, if certainly they would have followed you, the be a kareem son. Had the prophets been near, prophets, others here, others means what is offered up from the world. Here this is referring to that at this time the dates in Medina Menorah were about to be ripened. And some of the people, some of the Sahaba didn't want to go. They didn't want to go because they didn't want to miss that date harvest or plucking of the dates from the groves of their tree. So here Allah SWT says, لَوْ كَانَ أَلَذًا كَرِيبًا That if indeed even the prophets from the dates are near, وَسَفَرًا قَاسِدًا And even if the journey had been an easy one for you, أَلَّا that indeed that they would not they would definitely have followed you, the Prophet. But what happened, indeed the journey appeared lengthy to them. They thought that they wouldn't would not come back for a long time, they would be away from their families again, they wouldn't be there or wouldn't return back in time in order to harvest the dates, etc. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is consoling the Prophet by saying, that they would certainly, definitely would have followed you. They would definitely have followed you. And then, وَسَيَحْلِفُونَ billahi. Very soon they will in fact even swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ma'akum. That if indeed we were able, we would have left with you. يُحْلِكُونَ أَنفُسَهُمْ That they, by doing so, they've destroyed their own selves. وَاللَّهُ يَعْنَمُ إِنَّهُمْ لَكَاذِبُونَ And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that they are lying when they're saying this. That they are lying when they're saying this. Alright. أَفَ اللَّهُ أَنْكَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for, for, pardoned you and forgiven you. لِمَا أَذِنْتَ لَهُمْ And because of that, which is, uh, because of the Hardship and the harm and the sadness uh, because of the hardship. Afallahu anka, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven you, Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu Lima, why did you, Adinta lahum, why did you give them, Ithan, why did you give them permission? 
So here Nabi Yisrael gave them permission to stay home. Why did you give permission? Hatta yatabayyana lakal ladheena sadaku when Allah Ta'ala had made clear to you those who were speaking truthfully. Wa ta'lam al-kathibin and you also learned and you discovered who were the liars from them. Okay. This has to do with the participation of the believers in Tabuk. Right, the book is in that place where the Sahaba are going to meet that enemy, uh, that Roman army that is coming at them from the side of Syria. So a large number of Mu'mineen went with the Prophet to the book, although some of them were hesitant, and some of them stayed back in Madinah Manawra. Some of them stayed back because of illness, some of them stayed back because they were unfit to fight. But there were two groups amongst the Munafikeen who were still there. This shows you the Munafikeen, right, the Silsila of Munafikeen does not stop at Fatih Makkah. Right, some, many people have this misconception that munafiqeen is just something that is a feature of the Madni phase and after Fatih Makkah there are no hypocrites left. No, munafiqeen go all the way. All the way. What does it mean all the way? All the way. There are munafiqeen at the time of the Prophet There are munafiqeen after the Prophet passes away at the time of the Sahaba and there are munafiqeen all the way up to this time. Right? So at this moment when the Sahaba Kram were leaving, so this here is referring to the Munafikeen and Nabi Akrim gave permission to the Munafikeen to stay back. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said you shouldn't have, you should have forced them, right? For, outed them, so to speak. Once it was made clear to you who was truthful, who was speaking truly. Speaking truly means the ones who were genuinely ill and genuinely unfit to fight. So those were Sahaba who genuinely couldn't go forth, right? They were unfit for military service. And there were others who were lying because they were monophic. They were pretending to be sick or pretending to be unhealthy. Okay. So by that you also learn and understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, exempted those who were unfit either due to old age or due to lack of physical strength or lack of physical health from going forth on that jihad. Alright. Afallahu anka that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven you Nabi Akrim but why did you exempt them? Why did you exempt them when Allah Ta'ala made clear who were the ones who were true and who were the ones who were liars? Now Allah Subhanahu is going to address the believers, ayah number 44 onward. Okay. لَا يَسْتَعْذِنُكَ الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ أَنْ يُجَاهِدُوا بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنْفُسِهِمْ That indeed those who believe in Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and the last day, they will not request you for any exemption. They will, those are the ones, the real believers will not request to be exempted from striving in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by means of using their property or their wealth or even offering their lives. Wallahu alimun bil muttaqeen. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all aware and all knowing of who are indeed the people of taqwa. However, innama yasta'adhinukalladina la yu'minuna. Only and only those people will request your permission means will request exemption. Which people? Alladina la yu'minuna billahi. Those who don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and don't believe in the day of judgment. Right? Don't believe in the last day or, uh, don't believe in the akhirah. And what happens? Their hearts are full of doubt. فَهُمْ فِي رَيْبِهِمْ يَتَرَدَّدُونَ And they're in a state of تَرَدُّ They're wavering, they're constantly going back and forth in their doubts. They're constantly going back and forth. Should we go? Should we stay? What it means is they're going back and forth. Should we go? Should we stay? But also should we believe or should we not believe? وَلَوْ أَرَادُ الْخُرُوجَ that if indeed they really were sincerely intending to go forth with you, then they would have made the preparations for it. Uddatan, they would have made the preparations that befit uh, going out. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala disliked 
that they should proceed forth. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dislikes for them to proceed. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? فَثَمْبَتُهُمْ That Allah ta'ala withheld them. وَكِيلَكْ And it was said to them that they should remain seated along with those who have sat. Right? They should remain seated along those who have sat. So it's suggesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't give them tawfiq to go. Allah ta'ala doesn't want them to go. You can explain the next time why. لَوْ خَرَجُوا فِيكُمْ That if they had gone with you, مَا زَادُكُمْ إِلَّا خَبَالًا That they would have not, they would only added strife and discord with you. And, وَلَا أَوْذَأُوا خِلَالَكُمْ يَمْغُونَكُمُ الْفِتْنَةِ And they would have scurried to and fro in between you. And what would they have done? They would have seeking to cause يَمْغُونَكُمُ الْفِتْنَةَ Seeking to cause fitna amongst you. Right? Fitna means discord, anarchy, sedition, confusion amongst you. وَفِيكُمْ سَمَّاؤُونَ لَهُمْ And amongst you they are spies. وَاللَّهُ أَلِيمٌ بِالظَّالِمِينَ And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing. All-knowing about each and everything that the unjust wrongdoers are up to. Okay. So what does it mean that actually you shouldn't despair, Prophet some that they didn't go? Because Allah Ta'ala didn't want them to go because if they had gone, they would have been a source of a problem for you. They wouldn't have fought with their heart. They would have been spreading confusion. At the slightest turn of the tide, they may cry out, let's retreat, or they may cause pandemonium. And however, Allah SWT is also saying, وَفِيكِمْ سَمَّاؤُونَ Right, and this is a word for a spy. Samma means those who are intently listening and watchful. Not, it's not watchful, but intently listening type of spies. They're listening to each and everything that you are doing. Okay. And indeed, they've always been wanting to cause fitna from the very beginning, from before. And they used to turn matters over. Hatta al haq until the truth arrived. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala amrullah. And Allah subhanahu wa command manifested itself. Wahum kadahun. And there were people who were disliked, disliked and displeased at Allah subhanahu command. Wa minhum man yakulu. And from amongst them there is one who says, right? Manum yakulu adhan li wa la taftinni. That I want to be exempt. Don't put me into fitna. Allah fil fitnati sakatu wa inna jahannama lamuhitatun bil kafirin. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds that indeed no, he has fallen precisely into fitna and indeed the fire of jahannam is all encompassing and shall surround the disbelievers. Alright. Here in the beginning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm, you can say chastised or chided Sayyidina Rasulullah for two things. Number one was that he exempted the munafiqeen from participating in Tabuk. Even if later it was their will, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning that it was his hikmat that they shouldn't go, but Allah ta'ala didn't want them to be exempted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala felt that if they were forced to go, then they would have stayed back. They wouldn't have been able to go because they were weak-hearted, they were cowardly, they didn't really have the true passion of iman that is required to go forth and leave your family and children and go defend the deen of Islam against an aggressor like the like the like of the army of the Roman Byzantinian Empire. Alright? Okay. And then Allah SWT is mentioning how they tried to cause fitna from before. This is a reference to Uhud. Some have said this is also a reference that some of them had suggested the release of the prisoners of Badr in exchange for ransom instead of 
so here Allah SWT is mentioning both of these things. Alright? There was one particular munafiq who said that exempt me and do not expose me to fitna. Different mufassirin are given different names. One have said that his name was Jadd ibn Qais. And what did he say? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what he said, right? This is written by Alama Baghwi in his Tasirima Alam Tanzil. He says that Jadd ibn Qais requested the Prophet to be exempted. Why? He said, O Rasulullah, I have a great love for women and I cannot control myself when I see them. If I see the beauty of the fair Roman women, I fear that I will be beside myself and will not be able to fight. Therefore, I ask that you exempt me from fighting and don't expose me to fitna, i.e. the fitna of those beautiful, fair Roman women. And then he offered that I will assist the expedition financially. I will do the amwalihim part, but I won't do the bi'anfusihim part. Allahu alam, right? I mean, but let's say that this incident took place. So, uh, shows, right? Uh, and this is something, by the way, that I mentioned to you that in Badr and as well. This was the feature of the warfare of that time. That the, those armies would bring their women folk with them. Sometimes they would bring their women folk, kind of like cheerleaders, like you have, right? So the enemy sports team brings their cheerleaders with them, right? So they brought their cheerleaders with them for two reasons. Abdullah, Rasulullah. Allah Akbar. Subhanallah. So, they would bring their women with them. Number one, to cheerlead, to egg them on, right? To sing tales. And, and second reason, they would bring their women to beguile the enemy forces, to distract the enemy forces, right? So maybe that's the person who is being referred to and that is a particular fitna he is being referred to. And maybe our lums boys can understand. Or actually rather the Pakistani boys who study abroad in America and Canada, Vokagia. Hey, I saw him right there, right? Maybe he can understand what is being mentioned here? Okay, all right. In tusibka hasanatun tasuhum wa in tusibka musibatun yakulu kan akhazna amra kad akhazna amrana min kablu yatawallu wa hum farihun. All right. Here the response is saying is that look, if any good comes their way, it displeases them. If any calamity befalls you, they said that oh, you know, this is. Uh, Literally it is that we have taken, we took control of our own affairs and our own matters, means that we didn't follow you. If misfortune come, they will say to themselves that we took precautions for this. And they will go away, and they will go away from you rejoicing. And they will feel happy that they didn't go forth, that they protected themselves by not joining you. So cool, say to them, my beloved Messenger that know that nothing will befall us except that which Allah Ta'ala has decreed for us. Allah Ta'ala has decreed for us. Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala is our protector and our master. And indeed, in Allah Subhanahu Allah Ta'ala alone, should the believers place their trust and reliance and dependence. Go say to them, my beloved Messenger Hal tadabbasuna bina illa ihdal husnain. That do you husnayin? That do you expect something other than one of the two best things to happen to us? What does that mean? The two best things refer to one of them is victory and the other one is shahada. That these are only one of the two things that are going to happen. So even the answer is that what they felt was a, what the munafiqeen felt was a calamity befalls you. That's not a calamity, that was shahada. So that's not a calamity either. 
So one of the two most noble things are going to happen to us. And then, وَنَحْنُ نَتَرَبَّسُ بِكُمْ And what is it that we expect concerning you? We expect that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inflict punishment on you. أَنْ يُسِيبَكُمُ اللَّهُ بِأَذَابٍ مِنْ إِنْدِهِ Either directly from His own self, or بِأَيْدِينَا Or by our own hands, that you will be punished by our own hands. Alright? فَتَرَبَّسُوا إِنَّ مَعَكُمْ مُتَرَبِّسُونَ So what does it mean that you should wait? Indeed, we are awaiting with you. Right? You should wait for the outcome and see what happens. We are also waiting. Alongside with you, we will also wait and see the outcome. We are waiting to see which of the two virtues Allah Ta'ala gives us and whether He punishes you either Himself or whether He punishes you at our own hands. قُلْ نَبِيُّ كَرِيمُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ That whether you give willingly أَنْفِكُوا تَوْأَنْ أَوْ كَرْهَنْ Whether you spend in the path of Allah SWT willingly or unwillingly لَنْ يَتَكَمْبَلَ مِنْكُمْ That it will never be accepted from you, O مُنَافِكِينَ إِنَّكُمْ كُنْتُمْ كُمْنْ فَاسِكِينَ For indeed you are a community and a group of people who are disbelieving uh, a group of people who are sinful transgressors. وَمَا مَنَأُهُمْ أَن تُقْبَلَ مِنْهُمْ And what is it that is preventing that their نَفَقَاتُهُمْ That they are spending in the path of Allah will be accepted by Allah إِلَّا أَنَّهُمْ كَفَرُوا بِاللَّهِ وَبِرَسُولِهِ Other than the fact that they disbelieve in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and disbelieve in the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa And they don't pray salah إِلَّا وَهُمْ كُسَالَ Even, even and, they, and, and when they do so, they do so only grudgingly. وَلَا يُنْفِكُونَ إِلَّا وَهُمْ كَارِهُونَ And they do not spend because they are indeed, they dislike spending for the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. This ayah can apply, number one, to all, mm, anybody who doesn't have iman, that none of their acts, and specifically is being mentioned here, charity. So this is the ayah that makes it clear that their charity and their donating will not be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what is it that doesn't accept their charity from being accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What other than the fact that they don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they don't believe in the Prophet and they perform their salah lazily, and they spend only reluctantly, right? They dislike spending in charity. So when you have to add this factor in it, that they perform their salah lazily, وَلَا يَأْتُونَ salata إِلَّا وَهُمْ kusala. Right, so that could apply to many, many Muslims today, right? So again, we always, whenever we see the ayat that are talking about munafiqeen, we should always be worried that their descriptions do not actually describe us. That their descriptions don't actually describe us. Alright. Now verse number 55. amwalahum, And oh my beloved Messenger Son, don't let their Money impress you. Wala oladahum and don't let their children and their progeny impress you. Innama yuridullahi liyuadhibahum biha fil hayat al dunya. Now indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to punish them by means of their children and their wealth in this world. Wataza anfusahum wahum kafirun and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to make their souls depart in such a state that they remain unbelievers. وَيَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ And then what they do, they swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala أَنَّهُمْ لَمِنْكُمْ That indeed they are definitely with you. وَمَا هُمْ مِنْكُمْ And know that they are not with you at all. وَلَكِنَّهُمْ قَوْمٌ يَفْرَكُونَ But instead that they are a community that have... Uh, يَفْرَكُونَ can mean that they have 
Number one, a community that's a community that has chosen to be a sect, and they have chosen to separate themselves from you. Yafrakun can also mean that they're a community that they fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That they fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. They fear or they're cowardly. لَوْ يَجِدُونَ مَلْجَعًا أَوْ مَغَارِتٍ أَوْ مَغَارَاتٍ أَوْ مَدَخَّلًا This may we don't, you know, you can, those of you who are sitting in front of me can see that we, the copy of the Qur'an I use, I don't have that with me today. It's becoming a bit difficult for us. But our own copy is very difficult to teach you. Okay, if they could find a place of refuge, or if they were able to find a cave, or any place where they could enter or crawl into, and crawl into, they would run there with whom yajma'un, they would flee there and they would gather there. وَمِنْهُمْ And then there's some of them, مَنْ يَلْمِزُكَ fi sadaqat. They find fault with you. They find fault with Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. Regarding what? fi sadaqat, Regarding charity. What does it mean? Because... فَإِنْ أُؤْتُوا مِنْهَا That if, if they're given from it, رَذُوا They become pleased. وَإِنْ لَمْ يُؤْتُوا And if they're not given from the charity, مِنْهَا From the charity collected, إِذَا هُمْ يَسْخَتُونَ Then they become angry, they become annoyed. So here the sponsor says, وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ رَذُوا مَا آتَاهُمَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ If only they had been pleased with that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger وسلم, was to give them. Let me switch and try this. If only they were to be pleased with what Allah subhanahu wa and His Messenger وسلم, were to give them. And if only they were to say, Allah subhanahu wa suffices for us, soon Allah subhanahu wa and His Messenger وسلم, shall grant us from His grace, surely inna ilallahi ragibun, indeed all of our hopes and all of our pleasures and all of our joys are only and only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what they should have said. To Allah alone do we turn in our hopes and in our joys. That when they're not given, when it's not their turn, they shouldn't be upset, but they should remain hopeful for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the sadaqat. إِنَّمَا السَّدَقَاتُ لِلْفُقَرَاءِ وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَالْآمِلِينَ Indeed, alms zakat. Well, I'll explain it. Here, sadaqat means zakat. Zakat is only and only for the poor, the needy, and those who administer the zakat, those who are appointed to collect the zakat. And number, and the next is, وَالْمُوَلِّفَةِ كُلُوبُهُمْ And those whose hearts should be reconciled and won over. And zakat can be done to emancipate, liberate, to free slaves. And zakat can be given to those who are, to help those in debt. And zakat can be given fi sabilullah from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And zakat can be given to the traveler. The traveler who is in a state of need. All of this has been commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Min Allah. Faridatan min Allah. All of this is commanded and ordained by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Walau alim al-hakim. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing, all-wise. Okay, this is the ayah. This is Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, verse 60. This is known as Masarif al-Zakat. The ayah that mentions the categories of those people who are eligible to receive zakat. Alright? Zakat is mentioned as sadaqat here as plural because zakat is levied on multiple things. The zakat on cash, the zakat on gold, the zakat on currency, and the zakat on uh, what we call malat tijarat, on any commercial merchandise or any commercial assets that a person has. And finally, zakat on livestock. These are the five different types of zakat. Sometimes we then just combine it into three. Zakat on cash, gold, and silver is one type. 
zakat on mali tijarat, investment assets, investment assets slash business merchandise is a second type of zakat, and zakat on livestock is a third type of zakat. Zakat on livestock is something that very few people, you know, at least in these urban areas need anymore, but Allah Ta'ala has mentioned specific, for example, for every 40 goats, one goat, there are different types of zakat on cattle and ox and camels, etc., Zakat on cash and gold and silver is one fortieth or two and a half percent. Zakat on investment assets and business merchandise is also one fortieth or two and a half percent. There's a lot of confusion on zakat and I don't want to try to conduct an entire zakat workshop today. But someday really we must conduct a zakat workshop because a lot of people have no idea how to calculate their zakat and have no idea how to give their zakat. I'll just mention a few things, a few common confusions that people have on zakat. Number one, zakat has to be given to one of these categories. One category is, is, is the Prophet Sallallahu retracted that, and that is those hearts of people to be reconciled. That was to give zakat to either non-Muslims or new Muslims, trying to bring them closer to Islam. They're no longer... Uh, a category of people to whom zakat can be given They are no longer eligible for zakat All of the other categories that are mentioned here Remain and continue to constitute The sole categories of people who are eligible for zakat Very briefly how to calculate your zakat In theory A person should have been So firm on their iman That they should have known What date was that zakat became farth upon them But the vast majority of people Have no recollection whatsoever what that date in all, even all the more lunar dates, what was that lunar date, which day in Shawwal or Ramadan or Rajab or Shaban or whatever month it was, that zakat became fard on them. When does zakat become fard? Zakat becomes fard when you become what we call sahib in Asab. Here, if I start doing this, it's going to be a very long discussion. But here, there's a particular amount that the Shia has that if your net worth, your total assets reaches that amount, and you remain a person for an entire lunar year who always has that net worth, which is pretty much everybody here. So you don't have to worry about that. Every single one of you. Even Abdullah. <laughs> Alright. Huh. <laughs> has that net worth. Alright. Okay. Then you have to now pay 2.5%. Now the question is, now what? Okay, now you have to pay 2.5% on that surplus amount right sorry on that on that on that amount that stayed with you for one year okay the philosophy of zakat is that is very simple maybe let me i just explain to you the philosophy and during the particulars we'll have to save actually i think now that i've said it i think i've got myself into committed myself to doing a one day zakat workshop for you one day inshallah allah give Philosophy of zakat I want you to understand because that's what we mentioned. Philosophy of zakat is that zakat is supposed to be for the poor. For the poor. Zakat is the Islamic mechanism to alleviate poverty, to eliminate poverty. Not to eliminate income inequality. That's a socialist communist goal. Islam says there, will, there may be income inequality, but there shouldn't be poverty. Okay. What is the philosophy? The philosophy is that the poor are entitled to 2.5% of your superfluous wealth. Superfluous means that basically that your wealth that you had with you in terms of savings and possession for an entire year. So zakat levied on things that you use, such as on your car and on the house that you live in, right, or on the clothes that you wear. Right? It's not levied on your zururiyat because obviously that was money that you spent. 
Let's say you earn 150,000 rupees a month and you spend 140,000 rupees a month. So if that was your expenditure, that means it wasn't superfluous. Even if it was a bit of a comfortable level. Zakat is levied on the money that stayed with you for a whole year means that you never even had occasion to spend it. That's what it means by superfluous. The whole year passed and you never had need to spend that money. Right? That's the money that the poor are entitled to and even that only 2.5%. So it's saying that of that money that you have a surplus of, right? Of that money that you have a surplus of that you never even needed to use it for the whole year, even of that 97.5% you can keep, 2.5% of that has to go to the poor. Now, this, so money is easy for you to understand, right? Gold and silver people understand. On a woman's jewelry, zakat is due upon that jewelry. If she feels that, okay, my jewelry is worth one lakh, and if every year I have to give uh, two and a half thousand rupees, then well, in ten years I'll have given twenty-five thousand rupees. We'll say yes, because it's not just the maliyat, it's that psychological feeling of comfort that God forbid anything was to happen to you, you could have sold that jewelry, you had one hundred thousand extra rupees. So for every year you enjoyed that comfort of having a, something that was a hundred thousand rupees that you never needed to consume, and the poor people don't have any such comfort, so every year you should share part of that comfort with them at the cost of two thousand five hundred rupees. It has nothing to do with the value of the jewelry. You shouldn't think like that in terms of, it's not depreciating the value of the jewelry. That in ten years I will have paid twenty-five thousand zakat on it, and it was only worth hundred thousand, so now it's as if it's only worth seventy-five thousand. No. This is the wrong philosophy. The philosophy of zakat is that you had something superfluous. You had extra wealth that you didn't even need. And you spent the whole year in the comfort of knowing you had that extra wealth. You have to pay 2.5% of that wealth for that. And next year, then again you spent another year in the comfort of that wealth. Again you have to pay 2.5% on it. Many of our women, they said, that this way, this way, this way, this way, Said yes, agar is tarah a bissal itna comfort me rehiyon ki ek zayid zevra ka set aapke pas pada hai aur bissal wo aapko ek itminam de raha hai ki Khuda na khasta koi chiz ho jaye to bissal aapko zakat dene padenge. That's the philosophy of zakat. Similarly, investment asset. If you own a plot in a zameen, you live in one house. Everybody lives in one house. You cannot say that mere pas baad zameen hai. Nahi, wo sab rehne ke liye kiniyat ki hai. Right? Unless you can tell me that you have some job in some multinational corporation which six months or four months or let's say it's five, three months of the year in all places. No. This is an investment asset. So again, you have in your property, in your possession, an extra piece, some extra wealth which was so extra, you didn't even need to dip into it the whole year. Right? You didn't sell one canal of the ten canal plot. You kept all ten canals. That's how extra it was. Your own akhrajat baki zanai se So that extra thing, the monetary, and every year you will assess the real estate value of that property and you will give 2.5% of it every year in zakat. And if you feel that this goes against my investment assets, this goes against my investment philosophy, the whole reason I'm keeping it was to stash up money. And you're telling me I have to give? You have to give. That's the philosophy of zakat. You have to give 2.5% every year. Even if in 20 years you'll end up having given away in zakat half of the value of that property. Yes. Fine. In 20 years you will have actually ended up giving up half away. That's to alleviate poverty. That's to alleviate poverty. 
That's the right that the poor have on you. That you had this extra thing. And they have below their needs. You have a more than your need. And clearly it's not hurting you because every year it was Zayed, right? Every year it was superfluous. Every year it was extra. So you're still, you shouldn't view it in 20 years I would have paid half. You should say every year I paid 2.5%. You shouldn't add it up like that in your mind, right? So this is a very important thing. Just a few things I wanted to mention about the philosophy of zakat. Also the other thing about philosophy of zakat has to be given to the poor in terms of what we call transfer of income. It means they must be empowered to do whatever they want with it. Now if somebody says that they, they're eligible for zakat and they come to you and maybe their daughter is getting married, right? you have to give them the money. It's up to them whether they spend it on their daughter's wedding or not. You have to empower them with transference income because again, you are the same way in your superfluous wealth. You own, you are malik of that wealth. You can do whatever you want with it. This Arabic You are the master of that income. You could spend it as you saw fit. So the same thing is done in zakat. You have to give them that money. It's up to them to spend it. Whether they spend it on their daughter's wedding, they spend it on medical bills, they spend it on the education of their children, better things, right? That's their choice. Just like you can blow your money on frivolous things or you can spend it on your children's education, they will also have that same choice. Yes, if they agree with you, that okay, I want you to, instead of giving me zakat, I'd rather you pay my tuition fees, then you can do that, but it has to be that their complete raza is in that. That that's their, just, that's their choice. That the zakat is their money, and it's their choice that their money be spent on the children's tuition fees. Then you can direct deposit it, or whatever, give it, remit it directly to the school. Otherwise, if there's even a doubt, then you have to give it to them, and it's up to their own due diligence that they use it for a noble purpose like their school child school education as opposed to using it for something else because it is supposed to be their money. Their money. Don't indulge it. Alright. Okay. So, why did all this come up? All this came up due to zakat. Right. As far as giving zakat to institutions, those institutions that have a board which consists of a reliable, trustworthy, muttaqi, pious alim who advises them, then you can give zakat to them. For many years, Shokat Khanum Memorial Hospital did not have such a, but now recently, they have actually in consultation with ulama are using their zakat properly because zakat can actually, zakat money cannot be used for buildings. Right, Even if the building, part of the use of that building will be to give free medical care to the poor, but part of the use of the building is also to give medical care on the basis of charge fees to people who can afford it. Right, So zakat is something that belongs to the poor alone, exclusively, solely, totally, wholly. But now they are now using their zakat fund in a, in a way that is compliant with sharia. So one could give them zakat and now they make sure that it's only used and given to those poor patients so that they may pay their medical uh, bills uh, from that zakat fund. Alright. Okay, verse number 61. Let's try yours for today. Verse number six one. And among the hypocrites are those who hurt the Prophet and they say 
that he is just an ear, which means that he hears and believes everything that is told to him. He gives, he lends ear to that which is good for you. So say to them, that the Prophet ﷺ lends ear to that which is good for you. He believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and trusts the believers. And he has a mercy for those of you who are pretending to believe. Right? So in fact, he is in fact, رَحْمَةٌ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ يُؤْذُونَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَلِيمٌ And indeed, those who hurt the Prophet ﷺ, for them there will be a painful punishment. So this is a very strong ayah in Qur'an al-Kareem that mentioning that anybody who hurts the Prophet ﷺ will have a painful punishment from Allah Taala in the Akhirah. So it's not necessary always that we should try to be the ones to inflict a painful punishment on a person who is hurting the Prophet ﷺ when Allah Taala himself has said in Qur'an that he is going to inflict a painful punishment on each and every such person who is going to hurt and harm the Prophet ﷺ. And obviously the first original uh, addressees of this are the munafiqeen, but it also, this is a blanket statement. Whomsoever is a person who hurts and causes harm to the Prophet ﷺ, that all such people will have to face a painful punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Again, what they do that, oh, you all believers look at them, the hypocrites, they swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in front of you just so that they may please you. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wallahu wa rasulu, ahaq, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet have a greater right, an yurduhu, that they should be pleased in kanu mu'mineen, if indeed they were true believers. Alright. Have they not come yet to learn that whomsoever confronts Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Messenger fiha, that to such a person will be the fire of hell and they will be made to enter therein. And in there there will be a tremendous abasement and extreme disgrace. The, the Munafikeen are afraid that a surah may be sent down about them which tells about them what lies they conceal in their hearts. So say to them, my beloved Messenger that go and continue in doing all the jesting and mocking that you're doing. Allah SWT is surely to bring out what you are afraid of. Indeed, in other words, that there will be a surah that will come down that will specifically detail what the munafiqeen are doing. And if you ask them, they will say that we were just chatting, okay, that we were just talking, and we were having fun. We were just doing this as a pastime and as a play. Say to them, Prophet that is it of Allah SWT and His verses and signs and His Prophet and Messenger that you were making fun? Make no excuses, you have become disbelievers by this act of mocking Allah SWT and the Messenger Wasallam after you had professed faith. Now this ayah again is something that we should be afraid of that none of us should want to have this description of the munafiqeen inside of us, right? That we don't want that after bada imanikum, that after, after, after our faith, that we should in any way mock the deen or mock Allah SWT or mock the Prophet or mock his sunnah, right? And some actually, some uh, of the early fuqaha used to say that, that a person who ridicules the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, even that is enough for them to lose their iman. That is a suburb for them to lose their iman. 
Alright? So whether we may or may not be able to follow every commandment of Allah, or whether we're able or not to follow every sunnah of the Prophet but we should never mock it, or be sarcastic about it, or be cynical about it, or ridicule it. Right? And then Allah says, and if we forgive some of you, some of the hypocrites who repented and thereafter believed, then know that we will indeed punish the other ones who carry on with their hypocrisy because they are people who are guilty. Kanu mujrimin, that they are the guilty ones. The male hypocrites and the female hypocrites, ba'dhum min ba'din, that each, that they are all alike. They bid vice and forbid virtue and withhold their hands from spending it Allah's way. They forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so Allah ta'ala forgets them. Nasullaha fasanasiyahum. They forgot Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and as a consequence, consequently, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgot them. Innal munafikina humul fasikun. Indeed, the hypocrites are sinful transgressors. So here we had to mention that male and female, there are male and female hypocrites. So it's not just the men who are not going forth on jihad, but there are women who are hypocrites as well. And what does that mean? That they are hypocrites as well in the sense that they profess and claim, and maybe they went to Umahat al-Mu'mineen, right? And they claim that they were true believers, but inside in their hearts they really disbelieved. Alright. Allah fiha. Indeed Allah has pledged and promised the male hypocrites and the female hypocrites and all of the unbelievers the fire of hell, Khaladina Fiha, and they will enter therein. And indeed this this is Hasbuhum it will be sufficient for them. The fire of Jahannam will be sufficient for all that they used to do. And they will be reviled and repudiated and cast outside of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to them they will have an unending, unrelenting, unfading torment and punishment. Just like, and then it says that like those who came before you, they were stronger than you. They were stronger than you in strength. They had greater wealth and money. And they had greater children and progeny. And they enjoyed their share and their nasib from this world. They enjoyed their share in this world. Then you enjoyed your share. So Allah is addressing the Munafiqin that there have been people who come just like you before. And they enjoyed their share in this world just like you were enjoying your pleasures in this world. And you were indulging in sin and evil just like they used to indulge in silver evil. And they are the ones whose works, habitat amaluhum, were rendered null and void fit dunya, both in this world, wal akhirah, and in the hereafter. khasirun, and those are the ones who were lost and the ultimate losers. Alam yatihim naba'alladheena min kablihim, qawme nuhim wa adin wa thamuda wa qawme ibrahima wa ashaba majjan. So Allah says, and has it not come to you, the stories and the events of the community of Sayyidina Nuh al-Islam and the people of Adin and Thamud and the people of Sayyidina Ibrahim al-Islam and the people of Madian and the news of those towns in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent His punishment and they were overturned. Their anbiya and their messengers and prophets came to them with clear signs. So, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not such as would wrong them, but they have been doing wrong 
belong to their own selves. In other words, their prophets came to them clear signs, so that it would not be the case that Allah Ta'ala wronged them. It would, Allah Ta'ala would have wronged them if they were punished without a prophet being sent. But given that prophets and messengers were sent to them and gave them the call, and we did that extensively a couple of days ago, and they refused to hearken to that call, then walakin kanu anfusahum yadlimun, that indeed they have wronged and oppressed their own selves. Well, mu'minin will mu'minat ba'dum awliya'abad, that indeed the male believers and the female believers, each and every one of them are awliya to one another. So this is suggesting, right, don't think that this is <laughs> taking away the norms of gender interaction. Awliya means that they're protectors, protectors, patrons, benefactors, well-wishers, watchful over one another. Every believer will want the best for their fellow believer. Every believing woman will want the best for a fellow believing woman. Every believing woman will want the best for the fellow believing man. Their nisbat and their ta'luk that is based on iman is something that is so strong that it makes them eat the awliya of one another. It has nothing to do with physical interaction. It has to do with an emotional feeling. That in their feeling they view every single believer as their wali and they want to be the wali of every single believer. So remember the Qur'an, and I've explained this to you many times, that the Qur'an al The Qur'an al-Kareem is trying to create emotional states in a human being. It's trying to teach us the feelings that we should feel. So a believer should feel this feeling of intimate nearness and companionship and, and well-wishing for all of their fellow believers. And out of that nisbat of wilaya, not because they're dictatorial, not because they're tyrannical, not because they're close-minded, but out of that nisbat of wilaya ya'maruna bil ma'roof, that they enjoin each and their fellow beloved believers to that which is good and noble and virtuous, وَيَنْحَوْنَا anal munkar, And they try to get them to refrain and abstain from all of that that Allah SWT has prohibited and forbidden. All of that is considered vulgar and vile. All of that can, that can be labeled sin and vice. وَيُقِيمُونَ salata And they establish the salah. وَيَتُونَ zakat And they pay their zakah. And they obey Allah SWT and the Messenger Wasallam. أُولَٰئِكَ These are the people. سَيَلْحَمُهُمُ اللَّهُ These are the ones who indeed soon Allah Ta'ala will send His mercy upon them. إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ Indeed Allah Ta'ala is almighty and all wise. So it means to get the mercy of Allah SWT. We must have this love for our fellow believers. Ba'adullah al-mu'minin wal-mu'minat Jannat and tarjim and tatanhar Indeed Allah SWT has promised the male believers and the female believers that they will dwell in gardens underneath which rivers will flow khaladina fiha and they will dwell therein forever wa masakina tayyibatan fi jannat and they will have nice nice places good homes nice places to live beautiful dwellings and it will be in jannat adnin in gardens that will last for all eternity. وَرِذْوَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرٌ And but the greatest pleasure they will have, so this is Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, verse number 72. And this should be marked as this is the ayah where Allah Ta'ala mentions that the greatest bounty and pleasure in Jannah is the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And this is also one of the shan of the Sahaba, Allah Ta'ala you saw in Quran that he had said about them, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوْءًا that the greatest bounty of Jannah, which is that you get the pleasure of Allah, they got that in this world. They got that in this world, when Allah Ta'ala said about them in Qur'an, Allahu anhum, that Allah Ta'ala is pleased with all of them, an, and they are pleased with Allah. So, min Allahi akbar means, and the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is akbar, that is the greater, that is greater. 
Sometimes people have this misconception, by the way, about greater and greatest. Yes, so Akbar means greater, no doubt. But it's not incorrect to translate it as greatest because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying about something that it is singular, singularly greater than everything, then that becomes the greatest. I was saying this because recently there was one young fellow in America and he was trying to impress people with his knowledge of Arabic and telling them that when you say Allahu Akbar and you say that means Allah is greatest, that is wrong. Because Akbar in Arabic is ism tafzeel, it's a superlative form, so it means Allah Ta'ala is greater. Yes, it means Allah Ta'ala is greater, but when you are that being who is greater than everything and all things, obviously that means that you are greatest. If you are better and there is none better than you, then you become best, right? If you are better in such a way that there is none better than you, then you become best. If you are greater in such a way that there is nothing greater than you, then you become greatest. So always be very careful about these popular speakers who just, you know, just like that they try. And then next thing the guy, now, now the people who listen to him will be thinking when Allah says, Allah is greater. Yes, it means Allah is greater than everything and there is none greater than Him. Thereby, ultimately, it means Allah is greatest. Okay, so same thing with Rawan min Allahi Akbar. It means the pleasure from Allah SWT is greater than all of the other bounties and blessings of Jannah. Means it is the greatest bounty and blessing of Jannah. Right? ذَلَكَ هُوَ الْفَوْزُ الْأَذِيمِ Indeed, this is the tremendous success. This is the real success. And Dalaka can be understood most to be about the Ridwan, the pleasure of Allah. Making ourselves such that Allah Ta'ala is pleased with us is Al Fawzul Azim, is the supreme success, the greatest felicity, the greatest joy. Ya Yuhan Nabiyu, O my Nabiya Kareem, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Jahid al Kufara wal Munafikina, that you should strive and struggle and fight in jihad against the unbelievers and the hypocrites. And you should be stern with them. You should be stern and severe with them. وَمَعْوَاهُمْ جَهَنَّمْ And know that their ultimate abode is the is this Jahannam. And indeed, وَبَئْسَ masir It is the worst of places to end up in. They swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, مَا قَالُوا They swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they didn't say anything. Where in fact, indeed, وَلَقَدْ قَالُوا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, وَلَقَدْ قَالُوا كَلِمَةَ الْكُفْرِ Indeed, they have said the words of kufr. Indeed, they are disbelievers. وَكَفَرُوا بَعْدَ إِسْلَامِهِمْ And they chose to disbelieve after they adopted the religion of Islam. وَهَمُّوا بِمَا لَمْ يَنَالُوا And they are searching or intending, they're intending for that which they could not attain. وَمَا نَكَمُوا إِلَّا Allah SWT says, and they have not, they have not, they have reacted for nothing but that Allah SWT and the Messenger SAW have enriched them with the, with the fuzzle of Allah. Fin Yatubu If they make Toba Bika to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if they if they make Toba to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that will be best for them. And if they turn back and they spurn and they reject this offer of Toba, you Allahu Adaban Alima, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala afflict them with an intensely painful punishment for dunya in this world will akhirati and in the afterlife. Right? What was the painful punishment for the Manafikin and the Kufar in this world? One was the ones who literally didn't make tawbah and continued to fight and aggress. Well, some of them were killed on the battlefield. Some of them were driven out from their homes. 
they lost their rule and dominion, right? Some of them may have lost family members, may have lost family members in the battle. Another meaning is the punishment for them to have in the dunya is they're always going to have to lead a two-faced life for the munafiqin. This is their punishment. There can never, it's a punishment itself to always be two-faced, to be hiding what you really are, to be concealing, to be acting, to be faking, to be spying. That itself is a punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَالَهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ مِنْ وَلِيٍّ وَلَا نَسِيرٍ And on, across on the entire earth, there is no one who will be a wali for them, no one who is a patron, benefactor, intermittent friend for them, وَلَا نَسِيرٍ Nobody who will help them in any way. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ آهَدَ اللَّهُ And amongst them, there are some of those who made a pledge to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What did they say? That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us, لَيْنْ أَتَانَا مِنْ فَضْلِهِ If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us, wealth or status or is it from his fuzzle, from his grace and generosity and his bounties and blessings, then what we will do, then surely we will give alms and we will be amongst the righteous. But but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, but when he gave them that wealth out of his fuzzle and his grace, they became stingy about it and they went back on their promise and pledge and they turned their faces away, means they didn't give the zakat and sadaqah and also they weren't amongst the righteous. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then, as a consequence of this, consequently, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَاقَبَهُمْ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then put, uh, no, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned for hypocrisy in their hearts till the day they shall meet Him, because they broke their promise with Allah, and because they have been telling lies. Right? So what does it mean that Allah ta'ala kept them on their hypocrisy? Took away from them the ability to make tawbah, because they broke their promise once. So they were given a chance, they made, they made a deal with the Spanta, the Spanta, if you give us wealth, then we will become true believers and offer alms and charity. So Allah Ta'ala gave them that wealth. So He gave them hidayah. Allah always gives hidayah before He takes it away. So He gave them hidayah. He gave them that chance. It was simply a two-step process. One step received from the fuzzle of Allah and second step believe properly. But they chose to spurn and reject and deny that hidayah by breaking their promise with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by continuing to tell lies. So now Allah ta'ala removes hidayah from them. When Allah ta'ala removes hidayah from them, then they will never be able to make tawbah and they will not ever have iman and they will die in this state of nifaq that they themselves chose for themselves over Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do they not know? Alam ya'lamu anna Allah ya'lamu sirrahum that do they not know that Allah Ta'ala knows their sir? Sir means that Allah Ta'ala knows what they keep with secret. When the jawahum and what they whisper to one another. And indeed Allah Subhanahu is the most all-knowing, the greatest knowing of all of the realms of unseen. And those amongst hypocrites are those who taunt the believers, who give charity, from their own. Tawan means to give it freely and happily. Fisadakat, those who, those of the believers who give charity freely and happily. Walladina la yajiduna illa juhdahum. And indeed they will have nothing, uh, and they have nothing but their own, they have earned nothing but their own fruits of their own hard efforts and works. Still, they mock at such a people. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mocks them وَلَهُمْ أَذَابٌ عَلِيمٌ And Allah ta'ala said, declares for them that there will be an intense punishment. Alright. أَسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ أَوْ لَمْ تَسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ إِن تَسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ 
If whether you ask forgiveness for them, the Prophet or whether you don't ask forgiveness for them, it will make no difference whatsoever. In tastagfir lahum sab'ina maratan. If you ask istighfar, if you ask forgiveness for them seventy times, even then falain yaqfir Allahu lahum. Allah subhanahu wa taala will never ever forgive them. This is because they disbelieved in Allah SWT and His Messenger Indeed Allah SWT will not guide a community of sinful disobedience. So here we have mentioned, this ayah has been used by Fasreen, Muhaddisin and Awliya that to specify a particular number for any type of ibadah or dua or zikr is absolutely jayz in the sharia. Because clearly Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu was making istighfar 70 times. He was making istighfar 70 times. It also comes in a hadith that he was making istighfar 70 times for those kufar munafiqeen. It comes in another hadith that Sayyidina Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Sahih that the Prophet made 100 times istighfar for himself every day. So it means that Sayyidina Sallallahu would offer different du'as and different athkar with particular numbers. And the permissibility of this is not confined to just these two numbers, 70 or 100. You can prescribe any set number for yourself to do any particular du'a or any particular recitation or any particular dhikr that you want. It's completely jayz. Some people think that no, you cannot, you, can, you cannot set a number. You cannot set a number thinking that there's some fazilat to that number, that there's some preference or virtue or merit or additional swab in the number itself. But you can freely set a number for yourself that you're going to recite so much Qur'an a day, you're going to make so much istighfar a day, that you want to recite so many times Dhrut Sharif a day, that is completely jayz and permissible. Alright. So these people who took this pledge uh, on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then they, they broke the pledge and, and they broke the pledge and they didn't uh, believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though He gave them of their wealth and now Allah ta'ala set a seal on their hearts and Allah ta'ala saying is even the Prophet makes this far for them it won't help them in any way. Those who were left behind were happy when they're sitting back to the displeasure of the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does it mean that those who stayed behind from this battle of Tabuk they were happy that they stayed back even though they incurred the displeasure of the Prophet and what did they dislike? They disliked carrying out jihad fi sabilullah with their wealth and with their lives and themselves. And they said, do not march in this hot weather. Weather. So say to them, Nabi Yusuf that the fire jahannam is much more intense in heat only if they could understand. Right? So generally, this is saying that right, if we engage in disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because it's, the weather is hot, we should remember that the fire of Jahannam is much, much more intense in heat. So let them laugh a little and weep a lot, this being a reward of what they used to earn. In other words, that they're happy and rejoicing in earth because they didn't go to Tabuk. And they cry very little. So let them do that. That will be a reward for whatever they used to do in the Surjazambi Makanu Yaksabun. So let their merriment in this world be the reward for whatever worldly deeds they used to do. Alright. Then if Allah Sponsor brings you back to a group of them and they seek your permission to march, you should say to them that you should never you will never ever march with me ever again. And you should never ever fight a company, enemy in my company. You were happy with staying back and sitting back the first time. Now you should be content that you should always fuck'adu ma'al khalifin. You will always be sitting back with those who stayed behind. And wala tusalli ala ahadim minhum mata abadan. And never ever ever offer a prayer on any one of them who dies. Right? 
So this is why because before Sayyidina Rasulullah used to actually pray Janazah over the Munafiqeen. He used to pray it. Now Allah SWT is saying that never again will you pray to the Prophet that never will you pray again a Janazah on the Munafiqeen. Alright? وَلَا تَكُمْ عَلَىٰ قَبْرِهِ Nor should you ever go stand by his grave and even make any dua for them. Because there are certain duas that are made when a person is lowered into their grave. This also establishes that these are the rites of passage. We are supposed to do two things. We are supposed to pray over the dead in janazah and not just lower them into the grave, but we are supposed to stand at that grave for some point afterwards, making some dua, making some recitation, right, for their sake. إِنَّهُمْ كَفَرُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ Indeed, there are people who have disbelieved in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and disbelieved in the Prophet وَمَاتُوا And they died in such a state and they passed away وَهُمْ فَاسِكُونَ In such a state that they were sinful transgressors. So what does it mean? That because of their disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their disbelief in the Prophet they're not worthy of your janazah. They're not worthy of the du'as that you would make while standing at their grave. They've disqualified them from this. Their wealth and children should not impress you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only wills, wills to punish them with this and with these in the world, the same I we did earlier, and that their souls should depart in such a state that they are disbelievers. When a surah is revealed saying that believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and carry out jihad in the company of his messenger, the capable ones from them seek your permission and say let us remain with those capable ones means that those who are able for service even despite their being able, they seek your permission to stay back and they say, let us remain with those who are staying back. They are happy to be with women who stay back and their hearts are sealed Do they not understand. Now women should not be offended. This is not anything against the women, but it's saying that just like the women are staying back, right, from going forth in jihad, so these men are happy to stay back along with the women as opposed to where they should have been happy is to go forth and offer their life to defend Islam and those very same women against the unjust aggressors who are waging these military expeditions against the believers. But the Messenger but indeed and those who believe with him, they are striving and struggling in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have carried out jihad by means of their wealth and also with their selves and their lives. And for them are all good things. And indeed they will be the ones who will be successful. Prepare for them gardens underneath which rivers flow. They will dwell there in forever. This is the supreme success, the greatest felicity. Okay. Then there come the people who are experiencing Uzr from the A'rab. A'rab means the desert community, the village, Arab, the Bedouins. The Bedouins, okay, the Bedouins came and they made excuses. What were the excuses they were making so that may stay behind from the jihad? While those who were false to Allah SWT and the Messenger SWT, they also stayed behind. So painful punishment is about to fall upon those of them who disbelieve. There is no blame on the weak or on the sick or on those who have nothing to spend if they are sincere to Allah SWT and the Messenger SWT. What does it mean that those who are weak and sick, right, they are not able to go for jihad? And those who on top of being weak and sick can neither even spend on jihad Right, la yunfikuna. They can don't even find anything which they're able to spend. But as long as they're sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're true and sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there will be no sin on them either. There's no way against those who are good in deeds. Wala Allah Ladina Ma Allah Musinina min Sabil. 
This means that there is no recrimination, there is no way of reproach on those who are doing good deeds. Wallahu ghafurur rahim. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving and merciful. Neither is there any blame on those who, when they came to you, so that you may provide them with a mount that would take them so that they could ride on jihad and you told them that I have no more mounts or steeds to give you, they went back with their eyes flowing in grief because they had nothing to spend. Right? means that they did not have the ability to purchase a mount or steed on their own. Blame lies in fact on those who ask you permission despite being rich. So they have the money to spend on their own. They are happy being with women who stay back. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala set a seal on their hearts even if hum la ya'lamun, in such a way that they are not, they don't know this. They will make excuses to you when you return to them. Say, do not make excuses. We shall never believe you. Allah subhanahu has told us the facts about you. Allah ta'ala will see what you do. And His Messenger Sallallahu sees what you do as well. Then know that you should be returned to the knower of the seen and the unseen. And He will tell you about all of that which you have been doing. Still, they will swear by Allah subhanahu wa before you when you will go back to them. So they may ignore the, you may ignore these misdeeds. Just ignore them indeed. They are filth and their abode is Jahannam, a recompense for what they used to do. They swear before you so only so that you may be pleased with them. Even if you are pleased with them, Allah subhanahu wa will never ever be pleased with the sinning people. This is just that Sayyidina Rasulullah had a soft spot, so to speak, for the munafiqeen because he kept hoping that they not chosen to be outright kuffar. He was looking at them in this sense, that look, they could have been outright kuffar. They could have been on the battlefield on the other side. Instead, they chose to stay back. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that no, that they're doing all of this and they're sweet talk and they're promising and they swear things to you and they make excuses for you. They're doing that because they know that you're a softy and they're trying to win you over. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot be softened up by the treachery of the munafiqeen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot be softened up by the treachery of the munafiqin. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that these Arab, Al-Arabu Ashaddu Kufran, that indeed these Bedouin Arabs are even more severe in their kufr, in their disbelief, and more severe and more outlandish in their hypocrisy, and they're the most likely to be ignorant of the limits of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down to His Messenger. Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Hakim is all-knowing and all-wise. And from amongst these Bedouins, there are those who take what they spend as a fine, and they look forward to the cycles of time to turn against you. What does it mean that they viewed zakat, they pay the zakat, but they viewed zakat as the penalty that was being imposed on them, not as an ibadah they were offering freely and happily for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they look forward to the cycles of time, this is a bit awkward, but what it means is that they're hoping that the tides will turn against you. So they're just doing it for the time being, and waiting for you to actually be vanquished. So this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is angry with them. Because these munafiqeen, they're actually inside their heart, they can't, they can't stand Islam. They can't stand the Prophet They're just waiting and waiting. They're dying for this whole thing to finish. They're just waiting that can't these, they're sitting there thinking, can't these mushrikeen win? Can't, can't right? And so that's why Allah SWT is extremely happy with them, uh, unhappy with them, extremely angry with them. Alright? Upon those is the evil cycle. It means that, uh, Evil, they're waiting for the tide to turn against you. They're waiting for evil and ill and misfortune to befall you. So upon these people, Allah Ta'ala says that evil and ill and misfortune will befall them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Samiyun Alim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all hearing and all knowing. Wamin al Abi and amongst the Bedouins are those who believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the last day. And whatever they spend for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will receive that as a means of qurb. It will be something that will bring them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And you will find that Qurabat has been a word, literally means to draw near. It has been used in Quran for many different acts of worship because by means of worship, a person draws near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they will become close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with salawat al-rasul. And what will they get? They will get closest, nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they will get salawat, benedictions and blessings from Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now remember salawat is the word that we are supposed to, we send on the Prophet But these true believers who truly do jihad and spend for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sends salawat on them. Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sends salawat on them. They will get the Prophet, they were Ummatis, they will get the Prophet Salawat. Allah innaha kurmatun luhum, and indeed this is something that will make them kareeb to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make each and every one of them enter rahmatihi, his mercy, in Allah ghafurur rahim, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all forgiving and all merciful. وَالسَّابِكُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُحَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ And indeed those who are the first and foremost, the predecessors, the ones who were the first to Islam from the Muhajirin and the Ansar and وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُهُمْ بِالْأَحْسَانِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوْعًا I told you. The Muhajirin and the Ansar. So what is this? This is all Muhajirin. Okay, this is not seven Sahaba. I know I keep highlighting this to you but I want to show you how ludicrous that theology is that thinks only seven Sahaba are believers and the rest are unbelievers. It's ludicrous in the eyes of Quran al-Karim. Right? Muhajirin, Ansar, and وَالَّذِينَ تَبَعَهُمْ بِإِحْسَانِ So Allah is mentioning even those later people who converted to Islam. Right? After the Hijrah, after Fatih Makkah, so they can't be Ansar. Right? Even those people as long as they follow. Now watch this also. This ayah is also telling you one thing. That this is telling you that you can do ittiba of ghayr nabi There's some people who say we only follow Allah and the Prophet. Who are these people? وَالَّذِينَ تَبَعُوهُمْ And those who followed Muhajirin and Ansar. Those who followed Sahaba. Sahaba are non-Allah and they're not the Prophet. So Quran is establishing that we follow Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We follow the Prophet And we follow people. We do follow people. We follow people. We follow Sahaba, we follow Tabin, we follow Tabatabin, we follow Siddiqeen, we follow Salihin, we follow Muttaqeen, we follow Ulama, we follow Uliya. Yes, we do that. But many people mock this, why do you follow so-and-so? You should just follow Allah and His Prophet. I follow so-and-so because so-and-so is the one who's guiding me as to how to follow Allah Ta'ala and the Prophet. I'm nothing but a follower of the followers 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 of the companions of the Prophet of Allah. That's what we are. It's a chain. That's why it's called Sanad and Hadith. Called Silsla and Tasawwuf. Right? And here's the beginning of that chain even within Sahaba. The Sahaba who were after Muhajir and Ansar are being described as those who follow. And who follow the what? Bi-ihsan. Radiyallahu anhum. So this is what I told that Allah smiled us pleased with all of them. Just what Allah Ta'ala just mentioned earlier. What is one min Allahi Akbar? And the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala is the greatest blessing in Jannah. They got it in this world. 
وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ And they are pleased with Allah subhanahu ta'ala وَأَدَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْحَارُ And Allah subhanahu ta'ala has prepared for them wondrous rivers underneath, wondrous gardens underneath which beautiful rivers flow خَالَدِينَ فِيهَا abada, And they will dwell and reside therein forever ذَلِكَ الْفُوزُ الْأَذِيمِ Indeed, this is the greatest felicity, the greatest success, the greatest happiness وَمِمَّنْ حَوْلَكُمْ مِنَ الْأَعْرَابِ And for all those Bedouins who are around you, from some of them they're hypocrites, and amongst the people of Medina as well. وَمِنْ أَهْلِ الْمَدِينَةِ So there are some hypocrites from the people of Medina as well. مَرَدُوا عَلَى النِّفَاقِ And there are people who are adamant and steadfast on their hypocrisy. لَا تَعْلَمُهُمْ You don't know who they are. And you is singular here. Yusuf means you, Prophet Islam, you don't know who they are. نَحْنُ نَعْلَمُهُمْ Allah is saying, we know who they are. We know who they are. And we will chastise and punish them twice. Then they shall be driven to a terrible punishment in the akhirah. Means they will end up in the fire of Jahannam. So number one, they will be exposed later on. They will be exposed in this world. And second, they will be punished by Allah Taala in the akhirah. And there are others who admit their sins while they had mixed a good deed with an evil one. It is likely that Allah Taala will relent towards them. This is also viewed as one of the ayat of mercy, and especially for people like us. Right? Because we are people who mix sins and good deeds. Right? That's exactly what we are. So look what Allah is saying. وَآخَرُونَ أَعْتَرَفُوا بِذُنُوبِهِمْ خَلَطُوا أَمَلًا صَالِحًا That there are others that along بِذُنُوبِهِمْ with their sins, خَلَطُوا أَمَلًا صَالِحًا They sprinkled in some good deeds also. They mixed in some good deeds along with their sins. Right? So what is that? أَصَلَّهُ أَنْ يَتُوبَ عَلَيْهِمْ That it is hopeful and likely and soon that Allah Ta'ala will accept their tawbah. إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ Indeed, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is all forgiving, is all merciful. So what were the steps here? Number one, اعتراف اعترفوا You have it in Urdu if you know اعتراف means manna. They accept their sin. They accept, they call a sin a sin. They don't offer excuses, they don't give rationalization, they don't give justification, they accept. And many times people say this in Urdu, ki me guna gaaro. Now, if they are in the right way, then they are the right way. If they are in the right way, then they are the right way. I am a person who gazals his prayers. I am a person who cannot control my gaze. I am a person who does this. I am a guna gaaro. And I am a person who I accept and acknowledge their sins. Then what do they do? They have a mix, khalatu amalan saliha, wa akhara sayya. They have a mix of good deeds and bad deeds. They have a mix of good deeds and bad deeds. For such a person who has a mix of good deeds and bad deeds, if they acknowledge their sin to be sin, and they present themselves in tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, asallahu an yatuba an yatuba alayhim, that indeed it should be, can be hoped and is known that Allah ta'ala will accept their tawbah, because inna allaha ghafoorur rahim, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is forgiving and merciful. So all we have to do then is do itiraf of our sins, and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us. Khudman amalihim sadaqatan, that you should take sadaqah from their wealth, through and by means of that sadaqah you may cleanse and purify them their taharat and their tazkiyah lies in that وَسَلِّي alayhim, and you should pray for them so another thing that has been mentioned for these for people who want to purify themselves that's sadaqah another thing they can do if they have a mix of good deeds and bad deeds after number one accepting their sins and making tawbah number two they should give sadaqah so that's easy for especially for this class sadaqah is very easy we're all well off 
And tawbah is easy. Tawbah is just an intention in your heart that you accept and acknowledge that you're a sin and you ask Allah Ta'ala to forgive you and you make an intention that you never want to repeat that sin again. Alright? Okay. Indeed, your prayer is a source of peace for them. It means that Sayyidina Sussam's prayers is for them. Uh, sorry, وَسَلِّ عَلَيْهِمْ And you should pray for them. إِنَّ صَلَوَاتَكَ سَكَنٌ لَهُمْ Indeed, your salawat, the prayers and benedictions and blessings that you offer for them, Nabi Akram Sallallahu is a sakanun lahum, is a source of tranquility and serenity for them. Wallahu samiun alim. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all hearing and is all knowing. Allah ya'lamu anna Allah huwa yaqbalu tawbata an ibadihi. Don't they know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who accepts tawbah from his servants and slaves? وَيَخُزُ الصَّدَقَاتِ And he also takes charity from them. وَنَّ اللَّهُ هُوَ التَّوَابُ الرَّحِيمُ And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all, is the one who is the being who is the ultimate and absolute acceptor of everybody's tawbah and al-rahim. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who is all merciful. Okay, we'll just do two more ayahs. So, so tell them that do what you do. Tell those hypocrites, do what you do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will see your doing. And so will the Prophet see what you do. And so will the believers see what you do. But surely and certainly one day, soon enough you will be returned to that being who is ultimately knowing everything that is unseen with shahada and all that is apparent. And that being means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inform you and identify to you and show you each and every single thing that you used to do. Alright. And there are others whose matter whose matter has been deferred to the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes, imma yu'adhibuhum, maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may punish them, wa imma yatubu alayhim, and maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept their tawbah, wallahu alimun hakim, indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing and is all-wise. So we should not want to be in this akhirun, who it's uncertain whether Allah Ta'ala will, if you look at Surah 1, verse 106, we don't want to be among this Akhirun and those others who Allah Ta'ala may punish them or may accept this Tawbah. We want to be amongst the Akhirun of 102, which Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, and those others are the ones who admit and acknowledge their sin and mix their good deeds with evil deeds, but they make Tawbah and it's hope that Allah Ta'ala will accept their Tawbah. So for the people in 102, no mention of azab, only mention of Allah Ta'ala's accepting tawbah. And for the people in 106, a possibility of either being punished by Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala or their tawbah being accepted. So we should make ourselves from amongst the people of 102 by making istighfar and tawbah for all of our sins and by offering some sadaqah to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to purify ourselves from the evil effects of our sin. Subhanallah <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Ya Allah, we are amongst the weakest of your believers. Ya Allah, surely whenever were we to be given the opportunity, and indeed may even if we have been given the opportunity, we have been amongst those who have chosen to stay back. We have been amongst those who have chosen to sit and remain with those who have been seated. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to give us the tawfiq and success to struggle and strive in the cause of your deen, to struggle and strive in your path, to struggle and strive and eliminate our own sins and transgressions, and to struggle and strive to establish a world of peace and security for all, free of all unjust and unlawful aggression and transgression. Ya Allah Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we acknowledge and accept each and every one of our sins. Ya Allah, we turn to you and make tawbah on this day. Ya Allah, we have spent several days now fasting for you in your name and for your sake in this month of Ramadan. Your Nabi Kareem Wasallam said that this month is a month of mercy, this month is a month of forgiveness. Ya Allah, we ask that you accept our fast. We ask that you accept our recitation and study and reading of Quran. We ask that you accept the prayers that we offer. Ya Allah, we ask that you make these good deeds, mix them up with the sins that we did all year round. And Ya Allah, take this mixture of sin and good deeds and take our acknowledgement of sin and, have, and Ya Allah, relent to us as you said in Quran. Accept our tawbah as you promised in Quran. Become a tawab with us as you described yourself to be in Quran. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are ghafoorul rahim. You are all forgiving and all merciful. Ya Allah, shower your forgiveness upon us. Us. Shower your rahmah and your mercy upon us. Guide us to the path that leads us to you. Allah, make us follow those who are following the teachings of your deen. Make us love those who love you. Make us love those who are beloved to you. Allah, increase us in our love for you. Our love for Sayyidina Rasulullah Our love for Quran al-Kareem. Our love for the Sunnah of Nabi Kareem Our love for all of those who love you and him. Our love for all of those who are beloved to you and him. Ya Allah, let us become awliyat one another as you described in Quran al-Kareem that the believers become true loving supportive brethren to one another once again let us wish the best for one another let us be means of guiding one another to what is best for ourselves and let us help one another stay away from the vices and sin and evil and deviances that are perpetuating and spreading in this world yet in Bikrim we ask that you safeguard our iman and the iman of all of our children and descendants until the Yawm al-Din Ya Bikrim Ya Alhamdulillah Amen. ربنا تكمل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين برحمةك يا أرحم الراحمين. Amen.